Welcome to the May edition of the Hoopsville Podcast, what will be part one of two this month. I'm your host, Dave McHugh. Thanks for tuning in. We're coming to you from the WBCA and ABC studios. Of course, thanks to D3Hoops.com and our other partners as well. Lots to jam in this month unexpectedly. We were we were planning to talk about coach retirements and coach changes. That was already in the books, but a few ripples in the water, as it were, or maybe waves, caused us to add in a little bit more. Um, so this show will primarily talk to a number of the coaches, the great coaches of Division Three, that are hanging it up and decided to stop uh, coaching. We'll talk to a number of them in this show. Then the next show, we'll get the gang together, as it were, and we'll talk about the great coaches we have lost since November. Over 4,000 wins, to be exact. And we'll talk to a coach who's making a big move into a new pond. So we'll talk about that as it breaks down. Of course, right now, a lot of the conversation revolves around coronavirus and what is the future. For many of you, you're either not working or working from home or something's different. If you're a student, you finished off a semester that you never expected to be uh, participating in. And if you're a coach, you're trying to figure out what in the world is the future going to be. It's certainly not anything I have the answers to, nor would I ever want you to assume I do. We certainly keep an eye on things, and then those of you tuned in to the last podcast, which was all about the state of Division Three with Dan Dutcher, it was a lengthy one, but a good conversation to have with him. You got a sense of at least what the NCAA or, or institutions are having to consider. Well, as we get further towards the summer, and as a result, further towards the fall, the questions start becoming a little bit more um, important. They become they have a little bit more weight to them. What is going to happen? Will things get back to normal? Where will things get back to normal? And where will things not get back to normal? And I'm using the word normal. Nothing's going to be truly normal again. But we're going to try and move in that direction. There's a lot we don't know, but. On the D3 Football podcast out a couple of weeks ago, Pat Coleman talked to friend of the sh- of of the of the sites and a former Division Three coach and Chris Pisatsky, who now runs Cavalier ninety two Consulting, working with institutions, especially a number of Division Three ones. He also was a former Division Three student athlete. He gets it. He talked a little bit about all the challenges out there, and one of the one of the couple of topics that caught our attention was really what is the timeline and what do people need to start thinking about as things move forward? I think the delay of the the fall semester is something that we've got to really get our arms around. The folks that I've talked to at the NCAA and some of the governing uh, boards, regional accrediting councils, are talking about mid-June being kind of a time when we've either got to go or no go on making these kinds of decisions for August. And frankly, you know, Division three isn't what's going to drive this. Division one is going to drive the decision. We've already lost all of our our division one NCAA men's basketball revenue for the year. A lot of that money funds division three operations. Um, so we have to think about the fact that the NCAA is operating you know, from home like you and I are on a much reduced budget. Yeah. And that a lot of the things that we take for granted about, you know, August 10th football camp opens. <laughs> That's not too that's not too far from here. Right. And we don't have anybody on those campuses right now. We should point out Chris pointed uh, did talk about the loss of money from the basketball contract. Again, something we talked about with Dan Dutcher was how that affected right now the 2019-2020 academic year. It won't have as much of an impact for 
2020, 2021, but we'll have more in those in our notebook segment at the end of the show. Chris went on to talk about also how the social aspect of being a student athlete or a coach or whatever is having a big impact right now as well. You know, I think that one of the things that we have to talk about that somebody should talk about, and I might not be the right person, it might be somebody else, um, is creating social experience for, for student athletes um, in this in this void. Um, and that's something that I think is missing right now that the, you know, coaches are good at working with, with kids kind of on a one-on-one or on a 10 to one basis or whatever. Um, it's really, really hard in this distributed learning model to do coaching. The hardest part of of coaching through the COVID-19 thing from the colleagues that I've talked to is that for, for a month or so, we thought this was going to be a six week kind of thing. Now it's talking about a six month or a year kind of thing. Are we going to miss all of our season? How do we keep kids engaged in the class? You know, the work that we do with our kids on a week to week basis as coaches um, to keep them engaged in the classroom, to keep them involved in campus. We can't do any of that right now. So coaches are having to reach out individually and they're doing Zoom meetings and all these different kinds of activities just to try to keep their team together. Um, And, you know, there's a lot of Division three kids who are first gen, first generation college uh, college students who don't have the best internet connection at home and they're watching this on their phone. Um, well, you know, we've got to do everything possible to make sure that those kids continue to be invested in their education. Um, division three is about participation. It's about graduation. Um, it's about, you know, being a student athlete. Uh, and it's really, really hard right now for coaches to, continue to engage their student athletes when we don't know where the, you know, we don't know where the finish line is. We just hit the tip of the iceberg with what Chris Pisotsky had in terms of thoughts with everything around the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, Pat Coleman's interview with Chris Pisotsky can be seen or, or listened to, I should say, on the D3football.com podcast. You can find that at D3football.com and uh, it's definitely worth a listen. Uh, it's worth a listen all the time, especially if you're a football fan. But it's got some good general information in there as well. You can also hear from some coaches on how they're dealing with everything as well. And uh, go on and give them a like as well. The slowdown for the coronavirus probably had a little to do with some of the retirements that we've been experiencing in the last few weeks. We lost, as I mentioned earlier, over 4,000 wins off the table in terms of coaches that have retired dating back to Glenn Robinson, who'd made the decision just days before the regular season started this past season. That's a lot of wins, including the top three. We talked to a number of those coaches about the decision. We talked to Dave Hickson in this show, of course, retiring from Amherst. We talked to Ken DeWeese, who's retiring from Mary Harden Baylor. Carol LaHaye, retiring from Randolph-Macon and her storied history at that institution. And we also talked to Gray Giovanni, who was probably the biggest surprise of them all, retiring from Augustana. That's coming up in this show. And at the end, we've got our Hoopsville podcast notebook to bring you. There's a little bit of news outside of just retirements to chat about. You're listening to Hoopsville podcast, part one of two this month. Coming back, we talked to Dave Hickson of Amherst. You're listening to Hoopsville, presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC studios. Dave Hickson, when we come back. We 
we've got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division Three basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.D3Hoops.com. It's on us to stop sexual assault. In any way that we can. To get a friend home safe. To never blame the victim. It's on us. To stand up. To make our community safe for all. It's on us. It's on us to look out for each other at parties. It's on us. To be more than just a bystander. To step up and say something. It's on us, all of us, to, to stop, stop sexual assault. assault. Learn how and take the pledge at itsonus.org. My name is Marcus Walker. I was All-State, won a state championship, a high school All-American, and played college and pro ball. I played because I love the game. I grind to be the best. I sweat because I put in work. I'm strong because I believe. When I want to bring it before game time, I come to the house that college basketball built, the CBE. No matter your skill, take it to another level. Elevate your game right here at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. Now joining us on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline, it is the now former head coach of Amherst. It is Dave Hickson. Sir, um, I, I, I welcome you to the show, but I do it with a bit of a... Of a a bit of sadness. I, I, I was—I may have been the one guy in the world in Division Three who was hoping this sabbatical was not going to be a permanent thing. <laughs> well, thanks for that, Dave. But uh, it is a permanent thing. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting—I'm coming to grips with that. Uh, thanks for joining. Congratulations on a career, which we'll talk about here. But um, was uh, let me go back to a question I asked you when you took the sabbatical. Was the sabbatical a toe in the water on what retirement could be? You know, if it was, it was a subconscious thing, um, and it may have been. I don't know. I I would deny it and say that it wasn't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but but it you know subconsciously it may have been. I just had a lot of stuff on my plate. It was a great opportunity, uh, the right time to do some things, and uh, some of it personal and some of it professional. And you know, as the way it turned out, and then you add you know COVID to it, and uh, you know the cards all stacked up toward retirement. Yeah, I was going to say, what ended up being the decision? Because I can imagine during all of this, there's a point where you're, you're sure you're coming back. There's a point of it where you start debating about whether you want to come back. What ended up swaying you towards the side of, no, it's, it's time to hang this up? Yeah, and I think, I think the expression it, uh, that it's time uh, encompasses a lot of things, but sort of says it the best. And, you know, it, there's just certain points that you get to. Uh, I think I read uh, a retirement article on one of the coaches this year, great article, one, a female, and, and, and she spoke really well. And uh, But she spoke about all the other things, in quotes, um, that your other responsibilities, which we all have in Division Three, whether it's compliance, which I do uh, as Senior Associate Athletic Director. And so there's a lot of that stuff. But I think when it finally came down to this uh, COVID-19 thing, and as it started to loom even larger than we all had imagined, and things not only started to close down and close down quickly, but there's a, there's a lot of speculation as to whether, you know, when are we going to return? When are we going to get a vaccine? Can we only return when we have a vaccine? All of the stuff. And I thought to myself, you know, this, this sort of looks to me 
like this whole thing's going to need a jump start again. And am I ready to go on and do a jump start? You know, it's 68 years old. And, um, you know, so I think sort of everything added up together. And it was, uh, but I think COVID was uh, sort of the final nail. There, there were quite a few, there were a few nails, but uh, <laughs> COVID was the final nail. Sure. So, and I'm sure for your perspective, it also puts a little bit of, uh, of uh, focus on what the future is and, and the challenges that are going to be there, possibly with a COVID thing that I, mean, I know they say for the older Americans it, or any any person in the world is a little bit more tricky than it is for the younger. And I guess at some point you also have to look at it and, and think to yourself, you know, what do I want to be doing for the last X amount of years too? And do I really right. want to be, you know, putting myself in a tough spot with travel and all that? Right. Yeah. It all adds up. There's, there's all sorts of, and you know, it's funny that I guess I'm one of the old guys now, uh, that, uh, <laughs> that it affects more than the young guys, but, you know, living in a college town where there's, you know, five colleges in a 10 mile radius, mm-hmm. a lot of kids didn't go home. A lot of kids are still at their off campus housing. A lot of kids are international kids that are around, but you know, the kids this here, they're finally starting to respect, uh, COVID. I, I have to tell you that up until even a week ago, the amount of kids that just almost refuse to wear masks, that refuse to stop parties, social gatherings. And, you know, they think they're all okay, and I guess they are, but they don't realize that, you know, they could be passing it around and never showing a symptom, and then all of a sudden, you know, somebody else gets it who is more vulnerable, and it's uh, it was hard. But I think people are starting to buy in, at least around here. I know that sounds like it's late. Um, I think the old folks bought in a long time ago out <laughs> uh, of necessity. But I think that the, the younger, the student age kids, they just, they're they're invincible. You know, we all thought we were invincible. And, and so they're still doing what they were doing. And uh, But they're buying in now, which is great. Quickly sidetrack. Amherst, you know, a lot of people are going to talk about the Ivy League. A lot of people are going to be talking about some other colleges or the big names in in, in college in, in general, even though a lot of the NESCACs are part of that big name, some, some of the UAAs as well. But in, in all reality, Amherst was kind of the point of the spear. You know, they're the ones, along with Johns Hopkins, that shut down uh, the gyms first. It was Hopkins, then Amherst. Amherst was the one that first announced the gym would be closed the next weekend. They're the first ones that said, all right, now we're shutting down athletics in general. Then they're the ones that said we're shutting down the campus. They were all kind of the first one to do all of that. How surreal was it for you to be kind of a little bit on the peripheral watching all that happen? Yeah, and I was on the periphery because, you know, we, as you know, we didn't, uh, uh, we didn't make the tournament. We missed the tournament right. this year. But, but GP Gramacki and the women's yep. team, they were in it. And, of course, they were hosting uh, a pod. And one of the teams was from Washington, and that was one of the first hot spots up in the state of Washington. And uh, I remember being with GP and said, GP, you know, I have a funny feeling you're not going to play this weekend. Mm-hmm. He goes, come on. He said, they're here. Everybody's here. Why wouldn't we play? And I said, well, they got to go home sometime, so they might send them home sooner than later. I said, but I think the season's done. I said, do you realize that, that Duke in Kansas, you know, just canceled? And he went, you're kidding me. And I said, no, they're done. And so when that happened, our stuff, GP was the only uh, – the, Amherst was the only team that hadn't practiced yet that day. Hmm. The third, the third team was practicing. We were waiting for our practice when they shut it down. And uh, the dominoes, the dominoes, fell, uh, they just fell so quickly. Yeah, uh, it was amazing. Yeah, it certainly was. Uh, and again, Amherst kind of at the lead of a lot of that, which yep. made it very interesting. Certainly made our lives a little bit surreal and busy. Uh, back to you and, and the sabbatical. Uh, you, you and I talked in January on the marathon show. You had 
plans on what you were going to do with the sabbatical. Um, and we talked in January that some of those plans had had to be put on the side because of personal things that had, that had come up, which happens. I assume COVID also kind of derailed some of those grand plans you had. Well, so sort of plan A, which was, you know, I started out, I went, uh, you know, I, I went out to Cleveland for four days where Colby Altman uh, is the, and he was my former assistant. He's a GM and, and Beeline is a friend. And, and I went out to watch his introduction and his first few practices. And that was fun. And so my plan, you know, I went down to New York and we, we took in a, uh, a Nets game. Uh, they were playing New Orleans. And so all the Duke people were there uh, up in a, you know, one of these uh, special little boxes. And it was Krzyzewski. Krzyzewski came in and all this stuff. He was there to see his guys because there's so many guys in that game from Duke. And uh, the next day we went to see Duke and uh, uh, Kansas tip off. And so a wonderful weekend, great kickoff to it. Uh, literally, uh, my then my dad has a uh, uh, he has a, a stroke and a minor stroke, which added to his situation already. And um, so that sort of derailed Plan A for a bit until I could make sure that he was fine where he was and, and things were going well for him. And I'm I'm the only guy that can really take care of him. My my one brother's out in Iowa, and uh, you know, so I'm the guy. And so I was doing that, and that derailed Plan A a little bit. Then we spoke. And I had Plan B, and Plan B, I was uh, setting up time to go out to uh, OKC. We had made plans; it was going to be a three or four day thing, and uh, you know they were going to take care of me, get me out of there, the whole thing. And um, and all of a sudden, COVID comes in. I was going out to Sacramento and do a lot of stuff out in California with alums, and uh, again, COVID came in. So I was just ramping up, uh, going back and forth with OKC, actually trying to trying to firm up a date. And bang, it hits us, and now there are no dates. And so uh, that that put a, an end to Plan B. So uh, I'm looking forward to Plan C. I was going to say, uh, do you hope when things return to whatever our normal becomes that you can pick up where you left off, despite it not being a sabbatical anymore, you can still go and, and see the programs you wanted to see, maybe even add in a few since you're going to have a little bit more uh, flexibility on your on your side? Within yeah, I reason, so. I know there's family stuff. Yeah, no, no, I hope so. That's plan C. I mean, plan C <laughs> is, uh, you know, unless it gets derailed for another reason or unless, you know, my dad has another setback. I'm, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to plan C, and plan C uh, is ramping back up with the NBA stuff. Um. I'm curious when it came to obviously you, you explained why you decided to retire. Is there anything that kept you or almost kept you from making that decision? I mean, was there anything saying to you, don't leave? I mean, this is a program you've been around for countless number of years. Was there what was maybe keeping you from making the decision if it if it were to be successful? Yeah, I think two things. I think that uh, love of the game. I mean, I just absolutely love the game, and I love. I love the competition that it brings and the coaching and X and Oing and all the pieces of the game that just make it so much fun, so challenging. Um, and then the kids. I mean, you know, my I'd like to think that my 42 years has been built on relationships uh, with my players. And, you know, it's funny. I, I've spent the last month since I announced it. Basically, you know, I answer every single email, text that I get. And they just put together sort of this highlight film, uh, which is really fun and it makes me cry when I watch it. Um, but it's, uh, you know, all the special people that I've had a chance to coach. And, um, you know, I coached soccer for 23 years. And, and the things that those kids have written back to me. Uh, and so to leave this group of kids, you know, you have Grant Robinson, 
have Fouché, uh, you know, have Garrett uh, Day, uh, and a bunch of younger guys. Um, you know, I almost said, geez, maybe one more year, because this junior, now senior class, is sort of a special class for us. Um, and although we had some good seniors two years ago when we made a run and beat a very good Rochester team up at Rochester, um, beat Tufts to win the NASCAC championship that year. I mean, I, you know, we did some uh, beat uh, Hamilton, I'm sorry, to win the NASCAC championship that year. It was just all great stuff. And uh, those kids were really a part of it. And, uh, you know, I care for them deeply. And I really, I've told them, I said, guys, I'm yours. I'm yours for life. Remember that. And uh, I'm not going to be far away. And please call me. And, uh, you know, please, uh, if you need something, ask for it. And so for me, that's, it's been about relationships forever. And uh, that almost kept me. And, you know, you can stay there forever if you're always taking care of the next couple kids. You know, we get a couple good sophomores, too. And so it's just interesting. That and the love of the game, those two things were really the things that really made me think two and three times about whether I did or didn't want to retire. You've got an Olympic athlete in your house and one of your sons, and and I realize that they eat a lot. At least that's what you've told me. Are you sure retirement's the brightest idea when you may need the finances just to keep food in the house? No, I said, look, I said I was retiring. I didn't say I was going to stop getting paid. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I am curious. Yeah, true. Good point. Uh, and I say this with all respect. You're only 68. Uh, there, there's an element here, especially in, in life now, where, hey, there's coaches that coach for 20 more years, but there's also life ahead for 20, 30, some odd more years. What, what do you hope to do with the let's call it third stage of life. You know, you had your youth, you had your coaching. What's, what's the third stage going to bring you? Well, it was funny. I was, I was in a, uh, a bar, um, drinking some Corona of all things and, uh, um, having a great time talking to one of the other coaches. And, uh, he's a great young guy and, and so enthusiastic. And, and we're talking about all sorts of stuff, coaching this and that, and we're actually doing some moves in the bar and, and I'm talking to him about some of the invitations I've had to play on some of the great golf courses in the United States. And I've always sort of turned them down because, you know, a couple of three or four day trip was, was going to run into either recruit or this or that. Uh, there's two or three guys that own ranches up in Montana and North Dakota. And I have an open invitation to go to those. And I'm thinking like, geez, I want to do that. And this guy goes to, uh, uh, out in Wyoming out to Jackson Hole every year. That's where he takes his family for two weeks. And so I said to him, I said, I really want to get out there. And he looked at me and he said, you really want to do that stuff? And I said, I do, I do. He goes, well, then God damn it, do it. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I thought, well, he's right. And so that's it. You know, my wife and I really travel well together. Um, we'll be, we put our golf clubs in the, in the car every place we go. And we see a golf course on the side of the road, unless we're in a rush, we stop and we play it, and then we, we go on after that. And so uh, that's just, you know, how spontaneous we are, but how much we enjoy each other's company. And uh, we're really looking forward to doing that as well. And uh, she's now officially retired. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm hoping that my son uh, gets the opportunity to dive in Tokyo. Mm -hmm. uh, number one, will it be Tokyo? But number two, will he make it? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, uh, you know, there's just a lot of things that I've done, you know, I went to the last Olympics, I went to the the Olympic trials and all that stuff, but I want to do all that stuff and I want to be full in and not be thinking about calling, you know, Jim, the next great recruit and not, not thinking I have to be back here to see this or do that or run a camp or, you know, take care of some parents or whatever. So it's, uh, 
it's time, and it's uh, there's just a lot of great stuff in front of me I want to do. Uh, sounds like a lot of fun. Call me up. I'd love to go with you guys. Uh, I won't be a third wheel at all. Don't worry. Uh, um, yeah, some good write-ups, obviously, about your career. The one that, that jumped out was obviously Feinstein's in, in, the, in the Washington Post. Uh, he's always been a friend of Division Three in small college, but you, you don't always get him to write what you want him to write. But he certainly took the time to write about you, um, which I think probably surprised a few people. The one part that jumped out at me, though, and there's probably a several parts in there that jumped out, but it was reference to Paulson, your, your once rival at Williams, and how you were up for the Bucknell job. Or I shouldn't say up, but they were calling you and contacting you and seeing if you were interested. And you finally decided, with a great story, I'll let people read it uh, with what he wrote, about why you decided it wasn't for it. And they asked you if you had any ideas. And, and you said, hey, why don't you give Dave Paulson a call? My first question on that, are you saying you're, you're responsible for Dave Paulson's career? And the second part is that, was that because you had to get him out of the NESCAC? Yeah, that was the top <laughs> part. It was to get him out of NESCAC. <laughs> um, but... Uh, no, it was just one of those happenstance things. I had actually, before I called and told them that I was no, no longer interested, I just sort of said to Dave, because we had talked a lot about, you know, different jobs and what about this, what about that. He had looked at a couple, I think it was Brown or something like that. And, and uh, you know, he was second. He sort of just threw his hands up and said, I'm done looking at, you know, this and that. You know, I'm happy where I am. It's a great job. And he's right about that. And uh, so... Before I got off the phone, when I called him up, I called him up and said, hey, would you be interested? He said, well, I'm not calling them. And I said, no, 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 I'll, I'm going to throw your name out. So when I spoke to the person and told them no, I said, hey, by the way, you know, I said, you're going to call Dave Paulson. Great guy, great coach, um, one of the better coaches I've ever coached against. And so, and he's looking, and he'd be interested in a place like Bucknell. And that was the end of that conversation. And then, lo and behold, I mean, I never got a call back from anybody. All of a sudden, it was, uh, I saw Dave got the job, and I thought, okay. So who knows? I mean, I you know, he had to compete with a lot of other bodies, I'll tell you that. And uh, Pat Flannery, who had been the coach there, mm-hmm. um, you know, we had talked a lot about the job. And, um, you know, so I've been in touch with him to find out about a lot of different things about it. And, uh, you know, um, Dave was, that was a great fit. And he got a great player, uh, won a couple championships there and moved. And now he's at that next level. And I watched him coach this year over at UMass. And I got to tell you that... Uh, I know all levels have their pluses and minuses, and a lot of those, a lot of the guys that are up there never have been in Division Three. Would look at Division Three and say, "Wow, well, they're not athletic enough. I don't. I want to coach better players." And I'm saying, "Like, damn, mm-hmm. you know, Division Three is such a great place to coach." And I watched that mid-major level where, as sort of described by Dave, Dave will tell me, he "said Look, if you get a kid, you need to have a kid who's athletic enough to play in the A-10." and if they're athletic enough and they have a great basketball IQ, they're going up another level or two. Uh, and if if they have a high basketball IQ but they don't have enough athleticism, you know, good luck winning in the A10 with that. So hmm. it's a little bit of a conundrum on on you know the kids that you get, and some of them are great. And I'm and you know, but I look at I, I watch I watch UMass play enough this year that it just uh, you know it's it's a different type of ball. Yeah. Well, that's true. Uh, and Bucknell, yeah. by the way, is a, a heck of a track record with the Division Three coaches, uh, to right, say the exactly. least, in a lot of yeah. sports. And we're not even talking just basketball. Uh, they Even softball and some others, they've hired straight out of D3 and had some success. Um, I, I do notice, sir, if we continue the, 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 the trend, is one of my favorite moments with you was in Salem when you and Williams were playing in the semifinals. And you and Maker were at, were at the uh, the 
the front with me. We're having a little fun, and we're talking about offenses. Maker's team goes out there, and, and I hate to say it, kind of destroys you guys in the semifinals. And then suddenly he's at Marist. Did you make a call to Marist? Say, listen, we need, we need to get Baker out of here, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's another story for another time. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Well played, sir. Um, speaking of great opportunities, your last championship came in 2013 in Atlanta, where we were supposed to be back at this year before COVID knocked it all out of sorts. Um, and interesting enough, coming up, uh, Ken DeWeese will be on this show to talk about his decision to retire. I noticed Ken decided before you did. I'm curious, did you just feel, listen, we got to keep this 2013 thing together. <laughs> if he's retiring, I'm retiring with him. <laughs> well, it, little, it was a little bit like COVID-19. I mean, the dominoes all started falling. You had, <laughs> you had uh, the Robbie uh, uh, Robinson way yeah, back Glenn in Robinson, October, yeah. October and November. And I knew uh, that Steve Moore yep. was going to retire. We had talked about that, and he was doing sort of the – and then Deweese, and, you know, it's just like the domino started falling. <laughs> I said, you know, the water's warm, jumped in. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, going back to 2013, you talk about, you know, not respecting the D3 game to, to, per se. You know, they're, they're not athletic enough or they're not big enough or whatever the case is that coaches decide they don't want to be, to be in Division Three. You were part of putting D3 in front of those coaches – in front of those fans at the D1 Final Four and winning the national championship in front of those fans. And again, we were going to repeat it this year. Did, did you get feedback from that, not from the Amherst community, but from the coaching ranks? Yeah, I did, actually. And, you know, it was funny. And to see a lot of the different division coaches that we're all looking for something to do yep. on Sunday. When, when we go to that Final Four, Division One Final Four, the, you know, Sunday's that open blank day and you look, everyone's looking for something to do. A lot of guys are just recovering from hangovers, but you know they're uh, uh, true. They, uh, but but you can do that and still watch a good game. Yes, which, you can. Which you know, uh, and you know, again, that's where I met. That's where I really first met John Feinstein, and he came mm -hmm. up to me after the game and he just said, "Can I talk to you?" And I said, "Yeah, absolutely." <laughs> sure. And uh, I'm a big fan of yours. He said, "No, no." He said, "Let me tell you something." He said, "I've watched a lot of basketball." He said, "But." I love the way your team plays. They just seem to know it's like orchestration out there. They know what each other's doing all the time, mm -hmm. and they call the same play, and it looks different. And, you know, tell me about what do you, what do you do? I mean, this is it was magical out there. You guys just look great, and like that just like sort of blew me away. And uh, then, of course, he wrote an article that following that in the Washington Post on Willie Workman, and it was called Willie doing Willie things. And um, which he said to me, he said, what about this kid Workman? He's a lefty, he's sort of funky, he does, does some unusual stuff. I said, yeah, you don't even know the half of it. He does a lot of unusual stuff. He's on the wrong side of the person, the non-basket side when he's defending sometime, and I'm on him, but he steals the ball. And I said, so we just call it, you know, we put our hands up in the air and said, that's Willie doing Willie things. And uh, so he sort of bought into that, too. And it was great, but hearing from different coaches and seeing different coaches take the time to come and watch the Division Three game, I thought it was so good for Division Three. It was, I mean, I thought the Atlanta atmosphere. You know, I love people always say like, Dave, rank your top ten wins, and you know, you got to put the two national championship games mm -hmm. near or at the top, certainly. And the first one was so special because it was first one, like you know, and uh, but the second one, you know, not to nudge the first one out of the way because of the specialness of being the first, but I got to tell you, playing in Atlanta, um, you know, from the moment. We got off, you know, the plane and came in. You know, we had a, a an eight uh, an eight motorcycle police mm -hmm. motorcycle escort. And you know, I turned to the reporter next to me and I said, uh, "I haven't seen this many uh, 
police lights since I got pulled over late at night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you'd rather see them in front of you, right? You don't want to see them behind you. Um, you talk about workmen, but one of the other <clears throat> straws that stirred the drink for that team was obviously Aaron Toomey. Yeah. And, <clears throat> of course, Toomey went off and played internationally before an injury uh, ended that. He comes back. You give him a chance to be on the bench to learn the game from that side of things. And he eventually becomes your, your number one assistant and, and then takes over on an interim basis. Tell me a little bit about the relationship you have with him because I got the sense that while you love every single one of your players and you've had some incredible players become coaches and incredible coaches under you become even better coaches, there's something about Aaron that, that you seem to connect with. Yeah, I, I uh, you know, it's a little bit like I always say this, and, and so excuse me for saying it again, but it's like you don't choose one child over another. Um, you know, but uh, Aaron's a special kid. Aaron's going to be an absolutely terrific coach, and I think he already is a terrific coach. He's got an incredible eye for the game, which he had, you know, from the get-go. When he came through with me from the moment he was a freshman and said about three or four words um, right through his senior year, you know, we'd sit down and, and for him and I to say, look, so this is this is how they're defending this now. Let's think about what wrinkle we can do here that, you know, we'll totally blow them away because they're overplaying because they're taking this away from us. And, and we were a team along with the other assistants, but we were a team talking about it. And to see it through the point guard's eye, the person actually on the court, it's one thing to, to do things from off the court and imagine what will work if you're on the court, but to actually talk to the guy who is the orchestra leader out there, and he was the orchestra leader, um, you know, through his eyes, just makes it a better play. And so our relationship grew through his four years incredibly. Um, and, you know, when he got hurt, you know, I knew it was going to be tough for him. He had to come back. He couldn't play. But also, you know, it's tough being home. Uh, you know, you love your parents to death, but after a while, you know, your mom's taking care of the other day and this and that. And, you know, you want to you want to get going again if you can. And this was a safe place for him to come back and gradually ease in. Like I said to him, I said, Aaron, you know, listen, if – if bouncing balls start to hurt your concussion, you know, you get headaches, step out. You know, let's get into this thing slowly. And he did. And uh, But since then, it's just every year, it's almost exponential, uh, the amount of time, caring, effort, insight, you name it, passion, all the stuff that you want a good coach to put into something, you know, he's put it in there. I don't want to put you on the spot necessarily because I realize it's, you know, Amherst needs to do what Amherst needs to do uh, with this, this job search. And I know you have that spot for Toomey and you think he's done well, but what do you hope Amherst does with the decision on who will take over after your 42 seasons? What what do you hope they're looking for? What do you hope they'll keep in mind when they make the decision? Well, you know, again, I, I uh, there are a lot of really great uh, coaches and candidates, and so, and some of them are friends of mine that aren't in quotes Amherst people, and so this is meant as no disrespect to them. But you know, I'd love it to be a family member, and uh, I really would. And, and we get some guys doing great things. Uh, you know, Goldie just won the uh, the NJAC this year. Matt Goldsmith uh, down at College of New Jersey, and K-Hop has probably made the quickest turnaround. He's you know at Muhlenberg and. Uh, you know, he's dealing with freshmen and sophomores and they win 19 games and then a conference with, you know, Johns Hopkins, Franklin and Marshall and Swarthmore. And, you know, they, they beat each one of them over the last couple of years. And, uh, Mark Gilbride out at, uh, uh, you know, RPI had a great year. So it goes on and on. Uh, I, I'm Adam Hutchinson, uh, who was 
you know, has done a great job uh, and has a ton of coaching experiences. So I, just just from a personal standpoint, I hope that one of my guys, in quotes, gets the opportunity to do that. And, you know, again, they've told me I'm not involved in it. Um, it is what it is. And so I'm standing on the sidelines watching it. But, you know, I certainly let people know what I'd like. And, you know, I don't know if that hurts or helps. Uh, they may want to start a whole new era with a different, you know, mentality than an Amherst person would bring. And so that, you know, they don't want to get stuck in Coach Hickson type stuff from the past. I don't know. I don't know why they wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, uh, it's a good track record. You know, so, and again, there's, that's no disrespect to the great guys that, that are still applying for the job, but we have some really, really good guys out there in coaching. And, and I'd love, and the thing, the reason I would love them to have a shot at the Amherst job and, and to be the Amherst coach is when they talk to me about the passion of what it was like to go to Amherst, to play for me, to be my assistant, and then the passion that they have to want to come back and continue tradition, the tradition on, it just like blows me away. And so I'd love for one of them to have the opportunity. Well, I appreciate those thoughts. Uh, I could talk to you forever, um, and I've enjoyed every single one of the conversations we've had um, throughout our career, we should call it. Um, and we hope someday down the road we'll, we'll get you on again, but it's going to be a little surreal uh, not getting you on to talk about the mammoths specifically, but I appreciate <laughs> the time, sir. Uh, you gave us plenty over the years. You gave us plenty today. And as always, we give the final word to you. Any thoughts you'd like to share with those who may be tuned in? Yeah, just, and I always say this, you know, and, and so I don't mean to, to be redundant, but I, I do think, you know, that what you guys have done um, and the relationships you've built with the folks in division three, and it's not just basketball, but you know, I'm, I'm tuned in on basketball and what the spotlight that you've given, you know, our programs and our division is just, in my opinion, it's unique. I didn't think this could really happen in Division Three, and it has happened. And and I guess just one last thing, just beware and see if you can pick up my name when I start posting. Uh-oh, <laughs> uh-oh. Oh, beware. <laughs> we let the genie out of the bottle. This is not good. This could be int- I will be looking, sir, with, with uh, bated breath to figure that out. Um, sir, we can't do the show if there aren't like individuals like yourself willing to come on and give us a chance as well. So I appreciate the uh, – while I appreciate the sentiment, I also thank you in return because you helped give us um, some – stability not just that but also some uh you know respect amongst others so thank you for your time good luck stay in touch love to hear what you're up to uh i appreciate it especially as being a friend of mine and i look forward to talking to you down the road same all that stuff right back at you stay safe thanks sir appreciate it he is dave hickson now former head coach of amherst looking forward to seeing what he's doing in the retirement joining us on the blue frame technology hoops hotline Once again, thanks to Dave Hickson for agreeing to come on our show. He has been a friend of the show for a very long time. Uh, A great man that I really appreciate has given us plenty of time, even given us plenty of um, insight, as it were. We're going to miss him, but I have a feeling we'll still get him on a future show down the road. We wish him all the luck in the world in retirement, as he and his wife both enjoy retirement and hopefully the Olympics as well. By the way, he made a reference uh, about the other stuff. Coaches that he had read about had been dealing with other stuff. He might have been talking about Carol LaHaye. We talk about that other stuff with Carol coming up later in the show. Uh, She talks about everything else that she's involved with at Randolph-Macon and why she's still technically working for just a little bit longer.
But first, when we come back, we keep the 2013 championship game together, as it were. Ken DeWeese announced his retirement. Of course, Mary Harden Baylor and Amherst were faced off in Atlanta back in 2013. Mary Harden Baylor, who hadn't even received a vote in the top 25, made it all the way to Atlanta in the championship game to take on Hickson's Mammoth squad. We talked to Ken about that game, about the retirement, and plenty more when we come back to the Hoopsville podcast presented by D3Hoops.com for the WBCA and ABC Studios. This is why we love sports. It's in the way they play, free from the pressures and all the money talk. Playing for simply the love of the game, where everyone has a shot at their definition of success on and off the field. This is what we love about sports and what we can still love about college sports. Football has taught me a lot throughout my life. It's definitely had a huge imprint on who I am as a person. Competing at a Division III level created that opportunity for me to go to college. Not only was I the first one in my family to graduate college, but I was really the first one to even go. Being the first one, I'm breaking that cycle, and, and now that I've graduated, I'm not sure what's the next step, but I know I have a lot of doors open. And a lot of those are open because I played football and ran track here at Otterbein. We've got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division Three basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com. Now joining us on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline, it is the former head coach of Mary Harden Baylor. It is our friend Ken DeWeese. Coach, thanks for taking the time to join us. I really appreciate it. Dave, I appreciate you remembering who I am. <laughs> well, sir, you are one for good reasons that is hard to forget. Uh, loved having you on the show over the years. Loved watching your program. I'll admit, I was a little saddened when I saw the news that you were retiring, um, mainly because I've enjoyed uh, having you, as it were, as a guest so mo- so often, and and seeing you coach, I, I was a little bittersweet to see the news. How tough was it to come to that that decision? Well, I appreciate your remarks, and it was very difficult to decide to give up something that uh, has been absolutely been my life since I'm 21 years old, which when I started coaching, mm-hmm. and I've been so so fortunate to have my family members around me that have allowed me to do what I've been doing completely. I'm just immersed totally in it for 50 years. And uh, I'm not real sure exactly what it is that made me jump off the cliff, (laughs) but um, I I have, and I really haven't looked back at this point. And now because of the the situation worldwide, uh, it certainly has been easier to get along with because Actually, everybody's been in a little bit of semi-retirement with me, so I think it's uh, from that standpoint. I think it's been it's been a lot easier. Yeah, that's true. That's true. It's it, not everybody's able to do it. You'd be doing nothing right now anyway, uh, for the most part. Correct. <laughs> yes. Um, we had uh, Dave Hickson on shortly before this segment. I, I'm curious. Uh, do you think you forced uh, you forced Dave's decision to retire? You felt like if Ken Deweese is retiring, I'm going to have to retire too. Dave Hickson beat us so bad in Atlanta. He doesn't. Uh, he doesn't even know who Ken DeWeese is. 
<laughs> hey, sir, you guys, yeah, I thought you had him right where you wanted him in 2013 uh, because you guys had come in. And let's talk about that season quickly. Uh, you guys make this incredible run to the championship game in Atlanta. You came from double digits behind, I think, in every single game of the tournament. I could be wrong, might be missing one there, but it certainly felt that way. I know you did it in, in the rounds leading up to Atlanta. Um how memorable was that? How great was that season for you guys? You weren't even getting votes in the top 25 going into the tournament. No, we, we did come from, from behind in every game except our first game against Concordia. Oh, okay. And we led them from the, from, the, from the very beginning. But they had beaten us two weeks before that True. In, the conference, in the conference championship. So that, that, whole, that whole season was extremely uh, enjoyable, and it was not a shock. To any of us that were either the players or the coaches, it was not a shock to us because we were very confident throughout the year that we could play with anyone. You guys certainly had uh, incredible runs. You talk about the, the come from behinds, uh, the double digits in a lot of those games, uh, which is why we joked about midway through the second half, you had Amherst right where you wanted them in that championship um, but before Amherst in that game, you came from behind against Thomas uh, St. Thomas. You came from behind against St. Mary's and Whitworth. You also traveled the country, <laughs> to say the least, uh, all the way up to the northwest comp part to Virginia and then to Georgia. How did how did that group bond? Because I got the sense that you guys as a team really became more than just family. Yes, that was, that was a remarkable group of people and a remarkable group of people to be around. I'm talking about as an as a older adult watching young people it was extremely uh, it was interesting but it was also heartwarming throughout the year cuz those guys truly loved each other and it was obvious every day in practice as a matter of fact but i think uh, when we went to Spokane and, and went to Walla Walla early in that year mm. that's when that's when everything we got beat like a drum at both mm -hmm. places uh, we had a bunch of people hurt, and we we got we had a bad restaurant after our game uh, in Spokane. We had a bunch of people sick the next day trying to play in Walla Walla, and I think our for some reason our guys just looked at each other different, and they began to feel about each other different. On the plane ride coming back, uh, we had I had a couple of guys on the plane just kind of make a remark, Coach, this is going to be different. And I really didn't get what they were saying. Then when we had, a, we had about a three-hour layover in Denver Airport, and every one of our players except one came up to me at some point and said, "This this team, we're going to be different. We're going to be fine. This is going to be, we're going to be a whole lot better." Mm. And I, I appreciate, it, but they weren't laughing or they weren't smiling and mm. they weren't being congenial. They were just coming to him and making a statement. Well, I've been doing this a long time at that point, and. Uh, you know, I, I didn't. Not many of my guys come and tell me, "Hey, we're going to be fine. Just relax." I didn't get that a lot, but that's pretty, pretty much what they were telling me. The one guy that didn't waited till we got home, and we're getting everything in the locker room. We get back, and he said, "Can I talk to you a minute?" Well, when I hear that, that usually says, "I'm not enjoying this. I'm going to give it up." Yep. And he was he was pretty important. And uh, his name was Brian Todd. Oh. And he he was he was. On that team, he was my man. So I'm thinking, oh, no, <laughs> where is this going? He said, he looked at me and he said, Coach, take my word for this. We're going to be better and mm. we're going to be good. And he, with that, he turned around and walked off. He didn't say, see you tomorrow. He didn't say, hey, a good trip or a bad trip. He just turned around and walked off. And from it was like from that weekend on, everything just turned. I'd, I would like to tell you it was because 
of me, but it was not. It was because of, of that group of personalities. He was fourth on the team in scoring, third on the team in minutes. Uh, obviously, one of four guys in double figures. Uh, yeah, he was kind of important, along with other guys like uh, James uh, Allen and, and Kittrick Bell, Thomas Orr, who's, by the way, coming back to be an assistant in the new uh, coaching staff taking over after you. you. You had a good unit. And what was interesting about this year, uh, Ken, was that we were going back to Atlanta. Uh, to experience that D3 at D1 experience again before everything came off the rails. So I find it, as I said already on this podcast, I find it interesting that both you and Hickson are retiring uh, this year. In, in Because we didn't get to to see this, this experience again, can, can you give us a little bit of a sense of what that experience in Atlanta was like now that we're looking back on it from seven years ago? Yeah, I, I've I've said I said then I spoke to a couple of committees when we were in Atlanta, and I have I have spoken to people, both in a committee situation and individually, personally, and on the phone. That's the, that is the way Division One, Two, and Three college basketball should be every year. It was it was so enjoyable for the teams involved, but I've had so many people say. The Saturday is the Saturday is great uh, because it's always good to be able to see the four teams in Division One playing for the game on Monday night. But Sunday was such a good day at Final Four, and usually it's just awful for the Division Two and Division Three games. It just made the Final Four so good, and I think that's the way it should be. Not just for the people involved, because that's just a few, just a select few of people. Uh, students, student athletes, it's a select few of, of teams, but for all the coaches and all the people that go, it just made the weekend a true basketball weekend. Go on, it, and it helps elevate, uh, elevate, elevate. So we're looking for there, elevate Division Three, elevate Division Two, because you said all the coaches are there. I know that's what how it works in men's lacrosse. These coaches who, you know, go to the convention may not be able to appreciate Division Two and Division Three because they don't see the games. Now they're seeing the championship game. And even if Amherst beat you guys by a good, healthy margin, that game was still pretty good. And now they see that Division Three is pretty good, too. Yeah, I think they realized that uh, we were small. Yes. And Amherst was pretty good size. But they realized that we were terribly athletic. Yeah. And that was a shock to some. And my son is an assistant coach at the University of Wyoming, mm-hmm. and he has he has that Division One arrogance. <laughs> they all they all have it. But my son my son's dad had it when I was at UTEP. I, yeah, uh, at Georgia State, I never Division Three. I would never thought of myself as a Division Three coach. So I understand the Division One arrogance. Of course, Kenny, uh, my son, played for me here and was my assistant coach. Mm-hmm. So uh, he is not—he is not arrogant like that at all. He has a complete and total respect for Division Three. But uh, it did—it changed so many people's mind. If I told you how many emails and notes and phone calls I got, uh, you just—you would say, "Nah, he's making that up," mm-hmm. uh, because people were shocked. I've had many people say, "I had never seen a Division Three game. Mm-hmm. That's good basketball." Yeah, and it. I felt good about it, but I also felt bad about it. Yeah, sure, because you know the game didn't end up the way you wanted it to. Well, I felt bad about the fact that people had had so such a show oh. a bad image of it. Yeah. Uh, the game, the game itself, yes, I, I've I've never quite gotten over that. Uh, <laughs> we we wanted to win it, so. <laughs> well, you're following the Hickson interview. If you want to take the final shot, you're welcome to take it here, sir. 
Yeah, I will. I may. I, it'll be a. It'll be a. It won't be a long shot. It'll be point blank. <laughs> no, they 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 were very good. Dave had a great team that yeah. year, and the best team won. So I've come to grips with that a long time ago. Yeah, no, they they certainly had a a, a very good team to say the least. Um, Twenty two seasons at at Mary Harden Baylor. You you said. You know, you came from UTEP, and Division Three wasn't something you thought you'd be in. I suspect then when you took the job, you didn't see yourself being at Mary Harden-Baylor for 22 seasons. No, I did. I, we, I knew they were going to Division Three, or they were certainly thinking about it because the football program had just started. But, no, I didn't think I'd be there. I only thought I would be there through my son playing for me and graduating, and he would move on and I would move on. Mm. Uh, but it didn't. We had a president at that time, Jerry Bauckham, that uh, the student center right behind the football stadium, or in conjunction with the football stadium, is named after him. And mm-hmm. he was he was uh, just such a wonderful leader that um, I knew what he was planning on for the university. We were planning a new facility. It came to fruition, not real quick, but it did come to mm-hmm. fruition. But uh, then I got there and really liked it. The new president, Randy O'Rear, who was the vice president at that time, uh, was a former athlete at UMHB, and and it just, I just got, I became a believer in the University of Mary Harden Baylor. Then my daughter went there; she played on the women's basketball mm-hmm. team for a while, and it just became part of our life. And uh, just we just uh, we didn't we didn't become Mary Harden Baylor didn't become us; we became a part of Mary Harden Baylor. Sure. Um, the season passed was not what I know you were expecting. You and I had talked off air in the preseason and you were expecting good things. It didn't go your way. I know injuries played a huge role in that, though you still had an above 500 record, which says a lot. I'm hoping that didn't feed into the decision here. It did not. Uh, we thought we were going to be really good and we were excited about the final four being in Atlanta. And we talked about that as a group about going back and then how hard it would be and how difficult it is, but it's a possibility. That's what we were working on. But I, I don't think there are – I have talked to a bunch of coaches in America, uh, people that I respect, uh, some that I respect a whole bunch, and I've never found one that had started off the season with two point guards that they really like, that they have confidence in, they trust, and lose both of them before the end of the seventh game yeah. of, the, of the year. Yeah. And that's what, that's what we experienced, and it was just a, a killer for us. Uh, we still went 15 and 11, and because of that, I have a great deal of respect for our players. They did everything we asked them to do. We asked two or three guys to totally play out of position that were not point guards, that we made play the point. We had to have one, and they never complained. They never griped. They never said, hey, this is not what I'm supposed to do. I've never done this. I don't like it. Never had a complaint from them. My assistant coach, uh, Zane Johnston, could very well have said, this is too much work. I don't like this. But nobody ever complained. We just kept trudging along. And I loved it. As a matter of fact, it's it's uh, it's one of the more successful seasons I feel like I've been a part of as a coach. That says a lot for a program, to say the least. Um, some coaches I know with losing seasons will say those are the best seasons that they've experienced or the best teams. Uh, curious, this is going to sound a little bit loaded, how much have you changed as a coach? Because you talk about the, the change that your team had to go through this year and players had to adjust to. Not everybody realizes coaches sometimes have to change too. How much have you changed in your tenure at, at Mary Arden Baylor? Uh, well, that's difficult to answer. However, if I look at it over 50 years, 
I've been through so many changes. Uh, I started off coaching in the 60s. Uh, my first year was 1969. And this, just the social mores of, mm. of the country have changed and have changed athletes. Uh, when I look back at old pictures, and my wife and I were doing that uh, at some point this past year uh, by mistake. It wasn't like we were being nostalgic. <laughs> but just looking at the pictures of the teams and the players and the hairstyles, the uh, <laughs> the style of clothing, the way the uniforms were, uh, I, I've changed a great deal. Had to to stay in it. And the 22 years of Mary Harden Baylor, there have been there have been many changes. Um, I, I think the the biggest the biggest change I had to make was going from going into your house and talking to Dave McHugh's son about playing basketball for us. And I go through this whole thing. Hey, you got to be a good student. You got to be a great citizen. I want you to be the president of the student body if you can be. We want you to have a 3.0. We want you to graduate in four years. But if it takes four more, we'll get it done if your parents are willing. Let's get it, but let's get graduated. Did it go through all that? You got to, you got to follow the rules. You got to, you got to work your rear end off. And you got to understand, we want to win just as much as the coach at UCLA or Duke. And we're going to work at it that way. Oh, by the way, you got to pay your own tuition and fees, mm-hmm. and I, that just that change for me twenty two years ago was difficult. But every year I had to meet that again because the difference in the economic conditions over twenty two years. So yeah. there have been a lot of changes, but I've never had to deal with one that wasn't interesting and wasn't a challenge. Sure, uh, you've been rather upfront about the challenges of the conference too. You and I have talked a lot about the fact that the ASC wasn't getting the respect it was due. And, and a part of it was because, you know, the scheduling wasn't allowing the criteria to stand out for, to make it very simplistic. And I feel the last couple of years, the ASC really was starting to turn a corner in terms of the top teams were, were capturing people's attention to say the least. And, and during the regular season, not just the postseason like 2013, it, is there a change in the ASC are are you leaving hopeful that the ASC has started to understand that, or are those challenges still there? I think the challenges are still there and won't change because of the just simply because of geographics. So, depending on the situation that we're going to be the challenging situation economically, the question I would have for the ASC members because our our members began to travel to play people in those other, other areas mm-hmm. a great deal. Yes. Will that, will that continue now in the economic uh, deprivation that we're all going to have to face? Um, I, I don't know that they're going to, but if they will, or if there'll just be a little bit of a slump here, just a little dip, and they get back into it, I think uh, the more that the ASC members travel to other parts of the country, people see uh, how good the athletes are, how good the coaches are, how good the, the basketball is, uh, I think the, the difference uh, will be made up, but it's going to take a long time. Looking back at your career, 400 wins exactly as head coach of Mary Harden Baylor men's basketball. No other coach in, in, pro, in school history has gotten to 400. Granted, other sports are a little more difficult than others, but combined with your your, no, wait, 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 wait! I have to ask you a question. Yeah. What did you just say? Well, I said some. I'm, I'm not familiar with what you just said. What the 400 wins? Yeah. Well, according to I, no, Phil, I knew it won 400 wins, but you're saying no other coach at UMHB yeah. won 400 games. He, I'll read it right from the press release. Uh, Deweese is the only Mary Harden Baylor head coach in any sport to reach 400 career victories. You did well, not I've never know read that, the sir. Press release. I wouldn't no, expect never, you I've, would. 
Well, I, if I if I did read it, I didn't I didn't interpret that correctly. <laughs> well, in, in some sports, listen, in nothing against football, they play ten games. <laughs> You're playing yeah. anywhere from twenty five to thirty in basketball a season, and so right. they, they, it's, right. they, we we look at it in a different light. But we have a baseball play sixty. Exactly, that's what I was going to get at. <laughs> some yeah. other sports play more, um, but combined with what you did at McClellan Community College, people don't realize. You won 804 games while only losing 300. You found ways to get it done on the floor in many ways with your teams. What do you think was so successful? Well, I mean this sincerely when I, when I say this. So this is not coach talk. Uh, the, my, my proudest thing is the number of games lost, except that I thought we lost too many. Sure. And I think I think the biggest the, the biggest thing I, I was very fortunate. I had a high school basketball coach that worked hard and made us play hard. But when when practice was over, uh, he was he was a totally different person. Then I went to to college and played for a guy that was uh, hard nosed. Is not even that's not even <laughs> his dictionary. It was way beyond that. Uh, and then I, I was I worked in high school coaching basketball for some great high school football coaches that really brought me along correctly, and were very good to me and were great examples of of preparation of winning of how to do it and how to work preparation being the key. Then I go to UTEP and, and work for Don Haskins, who uh, there were no weaknesses in his coaching. Uh, every every facet of coaching was a strength for Don Haskins, so I was very fortunate to spend my time there, and I got an opportunity to go and work in junior college, and then you get you got to recruit constantly, and you've got to deal with other people that are recruiting your players constantly, and I just I don't know I just uh, just I enjoyed it and I love practice. I love recruiting. Never liked the games very much, but <laughs> practice and practice and recruiting were something two things that I enjoyed tremendously, and I already missed both of them. I was going to ask, uh, how are things since you made the decision uh, over a month ago? Well, it's hard to sit here and not be on the phone talking to people about a player and trying to decide if I want this one or I want that one or why do I want this one, why do I not want that one. And I miss talking to the, to the parents and uh, see if I can out-talk other coaches and all that stuff. Uh, and I, and I'm, I'm thinking about... I'm still reading all the all the things that I get through email about offenses and plays and defense, and I'm thinking, well, will this work with our guys? And I'm saying, well, wait a minute, we don't have any guys, so that's that's going to be a little bit different. But I'm going to miss practice, and I'm going to miss recruiting, yeah. and uh, there's, there's there's not going to be anything to fill that void. I've just got to do other things, get my, keep my mind off of it. I feel bad for your wife. She might be able to create a list, but you might not like that list. <laughs> oh, believe me, I've got more than one list. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. Um, I'm curious. You now, you know, head off to retirement land, as it were. Uh, I know from talking to you previously that the roots are staying in Texas. But what, do you have plans and ideas of what you want to do with what will now be a lot of free time? Uh, yeah. One, one thing, I'm, we're, we're going to sell our house that we've been in for 22 years, and we're building. We're in the process of building a house. That uh, my wife and I are excited about. Uh, so we're uh, it's going to be in, in Salado and just south of Belton. But it's um, we're excited about that, and that's something that we have never undertaken in all of our years of being married, 47 years. 
and we built one house in El Paso back in the 70s. So we're excited about that. We're working at it completely. And I think once we get moved into the new house, I'm going to start applying for jobs. <laughs> uh, what, what, what do we see as a future? You're not going to be a pizza delivery man, I would hope. No, I would, it would be something in basketball. Okay. I, I, I was an assistant for Don Haskins. I think I can work for anybody. <laughs> so uh, I think I proved that over time. <laughs> So uh, no, I, I I may I may, if I if I miss it that much, I will get back in it. Sure. And I'm healthy. I'm healthy. I'm energetic. I'm ready to work. Um, I may get back in it. But then again, I have been told by a bunch of other guys. Uh, I, I've worked with a bunch of guys. I work with a bunch of guys at UTEP on staff as assistants that are all retired that keep telling me, hey, "You will not miss it in three months." So. Okay. Uh, I'll wait and see what they're talking about. I was going to say, the challenge yeah. is real, Coach. The challenge is yeah. real. <laughs> uh, Tim Floyd Tim Floyd doesn't seem to be missing it. No, you're right. Uh, a guy named Tommy Jones that was, and I were assistants at UTEP together, and he was the head coach at Houston Baptist, an assistant at Rice, an assistant at the University of Houston, and he keeps telling me that I'm going to get a, I'll get over it. And Gene Iba and our assistants at UTEP, he keeps telling me, I'll get over it. So uh, maybe they're right. Maybe I'll get over it. <laughs> well, call me when that when that moment is hit, and whether you've gotten over it or not. I'd be fascinated to find out. <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to oil coming back, because I feel like if that happens, I'll be able to find me a job in the oil pack. There you go. Plenty of those in Texas, to say the least. Uh, I really appreciate the time. As always, I'm going to miss uh, not having our chats, but maybe someday I'll randomly call you just to have one. But uh, we'll miss you here on the show. Thanks for the time. Uh, thanks for everything. Congratulations. And as always, we leave the final word to you, the final thought to anybody who may be tuned in. Well, my, yes, if, I, if you don't mind. I I love coaching 50 years, every minute, I, win or lose. I loved every minute of it. Great players, great coaches, assistant coaches. Uh, I've, I've been very fortunate, great administrator, great family. But one of the things that, that I learned about Division Three is Division Three needs people to promote it. And the Division Three people, myself included, when I was involved, did not do enough and did not do it justice. And every Division Three coach of every sport needs to thank you because you are, uh, you are, I, I, I don't think you have any fatigue about it. <laughs> And you shout it loud, and not many people do, and you need more appreciation than you get. Oh, that was awfully kind of you to say, sir. Um, thank you. It means a lot. Uh, just doing our little thing here, as they say, but I appreciate that. That's very, very nice. Well, I, I, am, I am sincere with that, with that statement. And I do realize that, and that means a lot to me. I'm going to miss you, like I said. Take care of yourself. Stay in touch, and we'll look forward to talking to you, even if it's not on air sometime down the road. Thank you. Anytime. Absolutely. He's Ken DeWeese, formerly of Mary Harden-Baylor, joining us on the on the uh, Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline. Once again, thanks to Ken DeWeese for joining us on the show. I have always enjoyed talking to Ken, whether it's on the air or he and I have had many a conversations off the air, whether it was at the Hoopsville Classic, the, the D3Hoops.com Classic, on the phone. Heck, I even took a an hour away from a vacation in Disney to chat with Ken DeWeese because it was that important. Uh, I enjoy chatting with him. I hope to chat with him in the future. I have a feeling we may hear his take on teams in the South as he continues to work his way around 
the basketball game. Maybe we'll see him back in the game in some capacity, but fun to chat with him. Appreciated it. By the way, a quick story about Ken DeWeese that I always like. He talked about how great Atlanta was. I remember we were running late, and we'll probably talk about this more on the second part of our podcast this month, but we were running late to get to the D3 uh, press conferences being held in Atlanta uh, in the convention center. Long story short, we were running late, but when I arrived, I found out that Mary Harden Baylor had been running late as well. Apparently, they couldn't find Ken, or at least that's the story I was told. They finally found him, and apparently he wasn't in all that great of spirits. He was frustrated about something. Right now, I don't remember what that detail was. And so I was given the mic to ask some questions, understanding Ken might not have been in the best mood. But his mood seemed to change when I started to ask a question and he spotted me. I think he was as relieved to see me as I was to see a Division Three team getting in front of the cameras in Atlanta. Fun story. I always remember that. Great man. Appreciated the time. Wonderful guy. And I appreciate it. When we come back, we'll switch gears. We'll talk to Carol LaHaye from Randolph-Macon and her retirement decision, what led to it, and how in integral she has been in the Yellow Jackets Athletics Department. You're listening to Hoopsville May's podcast, presented by D3Hoops.com for the WBCA and ABC Studios. More after this. For the love of the game, but for those of us who are Division III student-athletes, it's more than that, a lot more. Sure, the game is important, but as we work so hard to build both mind and body, it's more about team. That is why NCAA Division III teamed up with Special Olympics. And in giving the gift of sport to those for whom it seemed an impossible dream, we are working to make this a better world. Help us keep that dream alive. You can make a difference. It starts right when you hit the court. You imagine your finest moment. The game-winning shot that gets you to the dance. A monster dunk or no-look pass and cutting down the net. Sports lets us dream of our own success and prepare us for our finest moments on and off the court. We are the coaches of women's basketball. We are leaders and teachers, dreamers and winners. We are professionals who conduct ourselves ethically and with integrity. We place the education, safety, and well-being of the athletes we coach above all else and teach them the fundamental values they need to succeed in life. We are coaches united for the good of our game and those who play it. We are the WBCA. Now joining us on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline, it's the former head coach for Randolph-Macon women's basketball, Carol LaHaye. Coach, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, it's a delight to be with you today, Dave. Uh, I appreciate it. Um, I'll, I'll admit, a little bittersweet when I saw the news. Uh, I think you, you are certainly on the list of coaches I would have had on my list of who could retire sometime, um, not predicting when, but I still was a, a little bit uh, taken aback, uh, maybe a little surprised. Was this one building, or was it something that just kind of came on to you as the season c- concluded? Well, thank you for thinking that. Um I think um, in the back of my head for the last year or so, I have uh, been wrestling with it. And quite frankly, it's because more and more people have asked me, when are you going to retire? How much longer have you got? Uh, 
recruits parents were asking, are you going to be here for four years mm. while my daughter's a student? Um, or, you know, what's it like for you? And, and so that kept just bringing up um, the thought, like, well, maybe they think I should retire, or mm. maybe it is time for me to retire. And so I think over the last year or so, I've definitely uh, had it in the back of my mind, but I was having so much fun yeah. that um, I just kept putting it aside. And then um, through this year, you know, we started out a little bit slow, and I thought, well, you know, maybe I don't have it anymore. And mm. um, I got really stressed out about the fact that we weren't doing well. And before, I used to be able to manage that stress a little bit better. And um, this year, I said, gee whiz, um, you know, I can't handle I don't like losing anyway. Yeah. And, um, you know, when you lose and, and you don't seem to deal with it as well, it gets more difficult. So, you know, fortunately, we were able to turn that around and the stress got less and all of that. But at the end of the season, I said, you know what, maybe these kids deserve much better and much more than what um, I I was able to give them this year. So I probably better step down. Well, there's a lot to unpack from that. It's interesting. I'll start with the season two and six to start. Even I was surprised. Um, that you guys were off to the start you were having. But there were a number of ODAC teams, I think, who didn't get out of the gate as well as we expected them to. You guys turned into the 2020 portion, and things certainly brightened up, as it were. Only lost two games in January and uh, one game in February. Things were definitely different. And, and Kelly Williams coming back, or I should say maybe getting more time and getting more comfortable, not really coming back, but getting more comfortable as the season went on, made a difference. It, did that almost change your mind? Because you guys finished so incredibly well. Of course, Kelly Williams helping you along the way. You get a win against Transylvania in the first round uh, and had a great game against Oglethorpe. Did did you almost change the, the thought there because the season finished so well? Absolutely. Yeah, there's, um, there's no doubt about it because uh, the nucleus of returning players, um, you know, we didn't leave the cupboard bad for for Lindsay, let me just tell you that. Sure. Um, the the nucleus of returning players, they're just such wonderful young women, and and I think that they've got um, a couple of years ahead of them. So um, I thought about it, and then, like I said, I, I just kept going back to, you know what, I think that they probably need somebody that um, that's younger and um, probably maybe get more out of them than mm. what I seem to have been doing to start slow. You know, you shouldn't start slow. There's no reason for you to start slow. <laughs> yeah, fair. I, yeah, it makes it tougher down the road, that's for sure. It puts more pressure on the back half of the season, um, especially in the ODAC where it's always going to be tough. Um, you talked about recruits or recruits' parents asking how long you're going to be there. I, I can certainly understand that. I could see that from a lot of vantage points. I can see a young coach getting that question, too, because – Recruits may think that they're going to move on to another job, but who else was asking that question? That that and did it come across more as respect for what you've been doing, or more across of, hey, coach, what what are you still doing? Yes, I think it was uh, well a lot of former players, to be honest with you, huh. and I think um, you know they realized this is how I took it anyway. I never at first I was insulted. Um, sure, you know. A couple of years ago, when people would ask me, I was insulted, like, oh, my gosh, do they think I'm that old or, right. you know, I've passed my prime or whatever. But, you know, when some of your former players just say, coach, how many more years are you going to do this? I think that they understand how um, 
you know, coaching has gotten really difficult. Yeah. Um, like Demanding. Like McGraw's, yes, like Muffet McGraw's mm-hmm. had a lot of psychology in it uh, now. And, um, you know, I, I feel pretty good that I've, I've had some outstanding training, you know, professional development through the years on handling various situations and mm-hmm. certainly some experience. But every year I experience something different that I didn't have, you know, a whole lot of knowledge on, but I learned about, you know, how to deal with this kid or how to deal with this situation. And, you know, mental health is a big issue nowadays. And, not that we had them necessarily with Randolph Macon, but you know, every now and then you have to deal with some things that you just wish you didn't have to. You just wish you had X's and O's and working on their schedule and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I think it was former players, um, former former players, just saying, "Coach, how much how much longer are you going to do this?" Sure. So, yeah, looking out for you more than anything. I think so. I took it that way. Yeah. Interesting. I, I can absolutely see getting the, the insult side of it. You know, wait, what are you talking about? You think I'm doing a bad job? I, I, I totally can understand that. My wife asks how much longer I'm doing the show. I, I don't know how to take it. So I get it. Um, so obviously you guys finished strong. You make that decision. I am sure the phone was absolutely inundated at that point in time. Have you, do, have you gotten a chance yet to appreciate what this decision has done, or has there been so many distractions and we're not that far removed that you haven't fully appreciated yet that you've stepped aside from from basketball? I don't think I've fully appreciated it yet, but um, because I'm still working, I'm not doing basketball, but I still have schoolwork and all of mm-hmm. that. I'm the direct, I'm the director of PE, right? So doing all this online stuff has been a bit overwhelming for me as well. <laughs> um, so I'm not sure I've fully appreciated it, but, um, you know, I was just, I was really touched and overwhelmed with the amount of response um, that I received from a number of people and very touching, very kind, uh, very thoughtful um, expressions of regret, um, joy, uh, wishes, best wishes. And I, I just, I was overwhelmed with that. Yeah, I was shocked. I, I actually was shocked, to be honest with you. Really, especially with some of the people that reached out. Um, so that was that was nice. Can you share some of the maybe bigger surprises? Um, well, even I if think you don't need lot, to name them. <laughs> yeah, I think um, you know some colleagues of mine. Um, I just never really thought that. Um, there was closeness or appreciation or anything like that. And then for the kind words and thoughts that they um, revealed to me, I thought, gee whiz. Uh, Mm. And I thought it was for real and genuine. So um, that was good. And and then the local community. I mean, people I didn't even, people I don't even know who have sent notes. And and I still don't know them, but um, the notes that they made or, or sent to me, um, that was touching. What jumps out of me, a couple of the stats. First off, you coached as many years as Pat Summit. Um, and that's, that's a tip of the hat, you know, 38 years, you know, Pat Summit is synonymous with women's basketball. Um, obviously, and this isn't a knock, not as much success as Tennessee, but who, who, who has, except for Gino Ariema, um, has had that kind of success, but you've had your own incredible success. Um, over 600 wins, almost 650, knocking on the door there. More wins in the ODAC than, than a lot of the men's coaches have been able to achieve. And, and there's some incredible men's coaches in the ODAC who haven't done what you've done 
on the women's side. Is there anything in particular you, you look back on in terms of the resume uh, in basketball primarily that, that, that will stick out for you? Well, um, I think uh, making it to the national tournament for sure um, was a big, I mean, I, that's just beyond comprehension to me. And it's kind of like, you know, when I think about that and when I see some of the former players on that team and they look and they just say, coach, just five more minutes. Oh, the championship game, yeah. Five, yeah, um, playing in that. Um, so I think that that is probably a proud moment for sure. But all of those uh, 10 ODAC championships, I know, um, you know, a lot of people have wondered, like, how, why. Uh, and I just know that um, through the years, I think that we've really taken a lot of pride in our conditioning. And I think that we've won ODAC championships because we've been in better shape than maybe mm. somebody else that had to play over three days. Yeah. Um, so I, I've taken a lot of pride in the, our conditioning factor. My assistant coaches, oh, my gosh, I could not give them enough credit. Um, they're the reason that I'm really receiving all of this, these this limelight, and certainly the outstanding players who wanted to excel as much as I did. Sure. So, I mean, that's just, um, they, they deserve to be on the resume. I mean, I, I can look at the resume and say, you know, put down this, this, and this, but I didn't do it all by myself. Mm. Uh, you were ODAC coach of the year only four times. I say only four because I think sometimes a program that is expected to always do well doesn't necessarily get a Coach of the Year award. Uh, you know, G.P. Gromacki is always going to do well in the NESCAC. doesn't mean he wins a lot of those Coach of the Year awards. And, and, and so I think everyone expected your program to be successful. Did that ever put more pressure on you uh, to have a successful season, or, or was it something you guys didn't think about? Oh, I think it does. I think the you know the more you win, the more pressure you put on yourself, uh, the more pressure you put on your team. And I know through the years, um, you know, when I was trying to reach 400 wins or 500 wins, I I could tell in hindsight that that put more pressure on my players than it did on me, mm-hmm. because yeah, I was in the I was in the position and I knew it was going to happen eventually, but. Some of those players wanted it to happen while they were there or they wanted to be a part of it. And so I know um, that that 500th win, uh, I know that team felt a lot of pressure because it took it took a few games in that season to get to that point. And, you know, I, could, I just said to them afterwards, I said, like, what was this like? And they go, Coach, you wouldn't believe how much pressure it was for you to get to 500 wins. And I said, oh, I'm so sorry. Because, <laughs> I mean, it, 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 it really wasn't about that. It was really about having them reach their potential and to mm-hmm. enjoy the season and to play the way they were capable of playing. And if the win came, the win came. Sure. And, and all of that. So I didn't realize it did put as much pressure on them as they did. But oh. I've had a couple players tell me that. Probably a good thing you stepped down before 650. probably so probably so um you've had a number of incredible players and and i'm not going to name them all because i can't you've had a number of great players period but the likes of megan silva molly uh Aureli, i I know i'm going to say molly's last name wrong there i apologize sarah parsons amanda uh, hilt tutton and then kelly williams just recently um 
in, in the mix. It, Silva was athlete of the year in Division Three for all sports. Uh, many of them, um, including Williams, were named as Justin's finalists. They were all Americans. They were players of the year. You had incredible talent there. Were they incredible when they came in, or was being at Randolph-Macon what made them so good? Well, I think that they had the talent to begin with. Um, Megan Silva, Molly Ariel, Ariel, um, thank Amanda, you. yes, Amanda Hilton, and um, Kelly Williams. They were all, like I said earlier, they wanted to excel as much as I did. And I think um, being in our program where we had some great complementary players, and Megan Silva will be the first one to tell you. Uh, when she received all those awards um, her junior and senior year, she said she thanked her her teammates first and foremost. Mm-hmm. Mo- Molly did. Kelly has. Amanda, Sarah Parsons. They've all thanked their teammates because they just were surrounded by other talented women who made sure that they excelled. And it just it was kind of like a snowball effect. Mm-hmm. You know, they they wanted each other to excel, and in doing so. It put them into the top spot. When uh, and by the way, thank you uh, for the correction, Ariel and and Hilton and I, uh, Tunin, Hiltunen. I apologize for botching your name several times now. Um, Eleven All America honors, also um, first team All America. We mentioned that. There's also Cosida members, uh, academic All Americans, and and academic uh, All Conference too. You didn't just have good athletes; you had great students. Um, and the list goes on and on. We couldn't hit them all. Is there anything about the program that you leave behind that you're, that you think will be a a lasting memory? Well, I think certainly, um, those young women that did take their academics more seriously than their athletics. Mm. And I had a professor tell me a long time ago, way back in the early eighties, he said he thought it would be interesting to do a study on whether your top students were your top scorers. Mm. And um, that's an interesting concept, and I never really pursued it too much, but boy, I've had some top scorers who were top top academic students as yeah. well, 4-0 students, like you said, the Jostens winners, um, COSIDA, so, um, and they were like our top scorers on our team. But I've got some other top academic athletes as well, but maybe not the high scorers on our team, so I shouldn't sell any of them short. <laughs> no, but um, they've uh, all of the players in our program have taken academics very seriously. As a matter of fact, Kelly Williams told me once upon a time while I was recruiting her that if basketball ever got in the way of her academics, she'd just give up basketball. Hmm. And so um, I think that that's probably the the same with most of the other players, but they never they never verbalized it like Kelly did. Sure. Um, but um, they they've done something with their with their Randolph Macon education, and that's probably what I'm most proud of. Sure, you know, I mean, besides yourself and maybe some of those other sports scenes out there, nobody remembers who won the ODAC championship in 1996, <laughs> or you know, who was the leading scorer. But um, they remember some of the other things that these young women are are going to do in their life. Absolutely agree. Uh, we, we, we'd be remiss if we didn't touch on what we, I know you and I have talked about in the past, and that is that you weren't just a basketball coach at Randolph-Macon. You, you have had many hats. When you came in, you were an assistant basketball coach, but you were also a soccer and lacrosse coach, and no pressure, that lacrosse program was pretty darn good when you took it over. It's still been a pretty good, solid program for Randolph-Macon. 
Uh, you have been a women's athletic coordinator, as you said. You're head of the PE department. Um, you've been an associate professor. Um, it, there's a countless hats that you have worn. How, I mean, obviously a lot's changed. If you were being hired now, you wouldn't be wearing as many hats. But how much did wearing those hats improve you as a coach? Or was it a challenge? Well, definitely a challenge, but I agree with you. I think um, the opportunity to work with other students and other athletes and teams um, gave me a different perspective on a lot of a lot of areas within the college, within athletics in general. But you know, earlier in uh, in the growth of women's sports and women's athletics, Division three in particular, you had to. I mean, you had you didn't have a choice. I mean. When I was looking at becoming the basketball coach, Rachel Anderson, the then women's coordinator, said, well, um, you have to coach lacrosse and soccer. And I said, I don't know anything about those sports. And she said, well, um, that's what the position is. And I go, oh, I'll learn then. Mm-hmm. And so there was no computers back then. Nope. So I had to go I had to go to the library and learn how lacrosse is a lot like basketball. So uh, yeah. that was a little more... Um, simple for me to learn and grasp, but I had to be taught the skills. Um, so I went out, I took a lacrosse stick, and back then it was a wooden stick, yep. so you didn't have as much success um, <laughs> catching no. catching that ball and cradling <laughs> that ball with a wooden stick as you do with the molded head stick. Yeah, that's true. Or whatever. I don't even know what they call them nowadays. Yeah, yeah. they still call um, them a stick, but yeah. <laughs> they have changed a ton. <laughs> And as far as uh, women's soccer, I mean, Randolph-Macon was one of the first colleges in, in the Commonwealth to add varsity soccer. Hmm. And so I was the uh, first head coach of that varsity team. And we played UVA, William & Mary, mm-hmm. James Madison. And I believe at the time they were still um, club sports, club teams. Wow. And so, um, but I had two male students that um, were soccer buffs. And they they did all the skill work with the team, and I did the managing and the behind the scenes stuff, administrative stuff, and all of that. But we had our growing pains, and I'm so oh, proud sure. of the women. So proud of the other women's teams that are have grown so much at Randolph Macon. I'm sure sometimes the the most important thing about coaching is knowing when to delegate. Yes, I think so too. <laughs> can't do it all as many as much as many coaches want to do it all uh you talk about getting to learn students from other sports if you don't mind a lighthearted moment uh jeff burns of course an alum of randolph macon uh he was a student and i believe he was uh under your guidance as an orientation side of things uh eventually he became a coach and a coach is i should say he coached multiple sports and then eventually he became ad what was it like to to see students like Jeff evolve and change and then even give back to the institution that had become such such an important home for you? Well, I think Randolph-Macon is very good at that. So we have a number of uh, coaches on staff that um, were students there, were athletes there, and um, have come back and to give back to their alma mater. And Jeff is just but one of them. And, um, you know, it's good to see there is success. Um, there is something to say about going out and and um, learning from others and then coming back. But there are a couple of people that didn't have the opportunity to do that and are still doing well. Mm-hmm. Certainly is. It's it's a, it's a, a, a very unique D3 thing. I think it happens at other places, but seeing it in D3, you certainly see it more often. Uh, you and I have talked about your deep roots in down east Maine. 
um, and and everything from growing up uh, in in Warren and, and going to Maine Machias, though you've lived more of your life below the Mason Dixon line there in in Virginia. Where's the future take you? Do you head back to the to the native land, or do you keep your roots in Virginia, or is it somewhere else? Well, as you mentioned, I've lived over half my life in Virginia. I have a house here in Virginia or in Ashland. Um, I I have a lot of family left in Maine and <laughs> in New England, and so I certainly have the opportunity to go back and spend some time with my brothers and sisters and nieces and nephews, uncles, aunts, and all, but... For the time being, I mean, I'm staying here in Ashland. Um, you know, I'm rooted in my church and my community, mm-hmm. and so um, I've got some projects that I'm going to do. I have a sister that lives in Alaska, so I'll be tra- I'm actually driving to Alaska this oh, summer. Oh, wow! So I don't, uh, I don't I'm, know how that's going to work. I'm actually a little get across the Can- oh, true. Border, yeah, good Canadian point. border. Yeah, you might have to so. wait for the border to open up, but I'm, I'm a little jealous when that trip happens. I've been to Alaska, but to drive. To go yeah. up that western side uh, of Canada would be a—it's a unique experience from what my family has shown me. Well, I've never done it myself. I've been to Alaska many, many times, but um, like I, like you said, I've never driven. But I'm um, going to try it this summer. Well, great adventures still uh, ahead of you. We know, but I appreciate the time to talk about the great adventure you had at Randolph Macon. Uh, I appreciate the time. I appreciate what you have done, and thanks for giving us the time throughout the years. And we congratulate you, and we'll leave it on the note we always leave it on. The final word goes to you. Any final thoughts to those who may be tuned in? Well, it's been a very uh, wonderful career. Um, I I can't thank everybody enough for everything that they've done for me and Randolph-Macon College for giving me the chance. And I just wish them all the best and hope the program continues where we left it. Well said. Coach, thank you so much. Congratulations. Take care of yourself, and we'll look forward to hearing more about your adventures outside of basketball. Thanks again for having me, Dave. Absolutely. She is Carol Hay, the retired basketball coach of Randolph-Macon. After 38 years here on the Blue Frame Technology, Hoops the Hotline. Fun to chat with Carol LaHaye, and I appreciate the time that she gave us. It's going to be a little different not seeing her on the sidelines of a Randolph-Macon or ODAC game, to say the least. Again, one of the winningest coaches, the winningest coach in ODAC basketball history. The history she has with Randolph-Macon is incredible as well. Uh, She's got a little bit more work, obviously, before she finally hangs it up. And they have made a coaching hire. We congratulate um, Lindsey Burke, who was a three-year assistant at the University of Rochester. Had also, by the way, had been an assistant at one time at Mary Washington, which is just up the road, as it were, from Randolph-Macon. We congratulate Lindsey Burke. Some big shoes to fill, but congratulations to Carol LaHaye. Uh, I always enjoy chatting with her and glad we could get her on the show. When we come back, we go to what might have been the biggest surprise in the last few weeks. Gray Giovanni of Augustana announcing his retirement. We talk about whether it was health-related. As you might remember, he had prostate cancer last uh, year or the year before. We also talked to him about the success that Augustana had with him and where he says it actually started and much more. You're listening to Hoops Hope presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC studios. Great Giovanni, when we come back. We are the coaches of women's basketball. We are leaders and teachers, dreamers and winners. We are professionals who conduct ourselves ethically and with integrity. We place the education, safety, and well-being of the athletes we coach above all else and teach them the fundamental values they need to succeed in life. We are coaches united for the good of our game and those who play it. We are the WBCA. 
I learned a lot of valuable lessons playing college football. I never thought about the health benefits of exercise until I actually started to talk to coaches in college. It's not only just for performance, it's for life. My coaches instilled the importance of well-being, not only building up strength, mental health, getting enough sleep, eating properly, it's all what it is to be healthy. I decided that I want to go on a personal trainer and share my knowledge that I obtained in college about physical and mental well-being. It starts right when you hit the court. You imagine your finest moment. The game-winning shot that gets you to the dance. A monster dunk or no-look pass. And cutting down the net. Sports lets us dream of our own success. And prepare us for our finest moments on and off the court. Now joining us on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline, it is now the former head coach of the Augustana Vikings. It is Greg Giovanni. And, and coach, I've said this to everybody who's come on, but most especially you. Uh, this comes with me a little bit startled and a little bit saddened. I, of all the retirements that could have happened this year, you were nowhere near my radar. Um, so my phone dropped out of my hand when I got the news. Um, what? Sir? I, yeah. Wow. <laughs> well... Uh, I appreciate that. I, I uh, you know, I think in coaching they say you always want to go before they, you know, on your own before you get uh, pushed out the door, <laughs> and, uh, and that certainly wasn't uh, wasn't happening. But uh, no, uh, you know, it's just a combination of things. You know, you and I have, have talked. Uh, I went through a cancer battle a mm -hmm. year ago, a prostate cancer, and and came out of it uh, just fine. In fact, I've had a quarterly blood work done uh, all year, and everything's uh, is good to go. Great. Um, came back this year, and and. Uh, uh, but to, quite frankly, it, it, it became more difficult. It became more difficult. Uh, uh, just uh, I remarked to my wife about midway through the season, I said, you know, I, I'm having to like drink coffee and do, you know, jumping jacks to get ready for practice. I think maybe that, you know, took a toll of the surgery. And she said, sure. well, that or the number of birthdays that you've had could be an issue. Yeah, and, sure. uh, you know, I think the, the combination, but it, it, it just seemed uh, – and then, obviously, uh, Dave, we've had this incredible pause in our world, yes. uh, you know, with this, this incredible uh, challenge of the virus. Uh, so I think all those things, you begin to, to really uh, focus your perspective changes a little bit. And my youngest son has graduated from college, has a great job. So my wife and I are, are totally empty nesters. And uh, it just seemed to me like uh, uh, the right time. Um, things are going to be different when we come out of this, uh, this pandemic and I think it'd be a great time for, for uh, someone else to pick up the mantle here at Augustana. I think your wife had other plans with your son now out of college, <laughs> you still coaching about that empty nest. I think she was hoping to enjoy some me time, and you've now ruined yeah. it. <laughs> well, I, I did say at the press conference, you know, this isn't one of those deals where I'm retiring to spend more time with my family. I'm not sure my wife wants that, <laughs> you know. But uh, She's rolling her but, eyes. And I will say, you know, the, the, the fact of the matter is, uh, in coaching, there's sacrifice. And so often, you know, it is the family and the spouse. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. I, I do think that uh, I'm, I'm anxious to, you know, how many times have I been with my wife where I've been on the phone with a recruit? Yeah. You know, how many times has she waited up for me when I've been driving back home from the suburbs uh, you know, after going to a game or so, you know, that, that's, uh, that's part of it as well. Yeah, I can understand that. And certainly the theme, I think we've heard a lot of people say, listen, there's X, Y, and Z, which we're all familiar with. Every coach has a, a similar X, Y, and Z, but that this pause has allowed some yeah. to go, well, this isn't the worst idea. 
Um, right. You guys, after five straight years of, of, of CCIW domination, were in the mix, certainly in the mix, but different squad this year. How different was this past season than than the previous five or so? Yeah, we, we had a shot go in and out at the buzzer at North Central, yeah. or we would have been co-champions again this year yeah. for the sixth consecutive season. Um, but it was a different cast uh, of characters. Obviously, we, we'd had a, an all-American backcourt uh, for a couple years there. Well, actually, for five years, you go back, you know, the Hunter Hill, uh, Ben Ryan group. And, Absolutely. And then uh, Chris on, Chris on Orange and Nolan Ebel and, and that crew. And we, we've just been incredibly fortunate to have such outstanding players and, and young men. And uh, and this group, we had a fine senior class uh, as well, uh, led by you know Pearson Wolford and and uh, Austin Ellidge, all conference guy, a couple big uh, guys that were tremendous shot blockers. Um, but yeah, we we've been so spoiled, Dave. You know, I, I actually have had people say, you know, what happened? I said, hey, what happened? We went eighteen and eight. We had a shot going oh, out absolutely. to win the conference title again, man. Yeah. But we we've done something unprecedented, and I I said this uh, before, not only. Have we done things that, that had never been done in, in Augustana? We did a bunch of stuff never happened in the CCIW history. Mm-hmm. Seventy years of a pretty good conference. You know, five consecutive conference titles, five straight trips to the Sweet 16, 20 consecutive winning seasons yeah. in conference play. Um, so the bar that we set was so ridiculously high yeah. that uh, – an 18 and 8 season seemed somewhat pedestrian. <laughs> well, uh, that's what happens, right? When the, when the greats uh, have a blemish, they even said the Patriots didn't have a good season this past year. Right, uh, right. They still won their division. They still got to the playoffs. Uh, it just yeah. ended differently. Um, you do talk about all the accomplishments. The one thing in the CCIW nobody can do, but you guys certainly came the, the closest was – uh, or one of the closest was the undefeated thing. Uh, was, do we make more of that than it than there needs to be, or were you guys even like, oh, we might be able to pull this off? No, I think it's uh, it, it certainly is a topic when there's a great team that begins to make a run. But uh, I, I just don't think you know the double round robin format in a league that is this difficult um, that that seems somewhat uh, unreachable. I think we did have. Our only loss a couple years ago, we lost in overtime mm-hmm. on the road to a very good Elmhurst team, uh, I think, and that was our only loss that year. But uh, yeah, and, and 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 you know that's never a goal that we set. Hey, let's go undefeated in conference. But it's certainly winning the conference is something we talked about. Sure. Uh, and before any of you start yelling at me, I'm fully aware that 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 Illinois Wesleyan went almost to the end of the season. Uh, before finally having theirs come to an end, I do get that. Um, yeah. It's you know you've had. As you pointed out, the last few years especially, you've had some amazing teams. But, I mean, my visit to Augustana in the playoffs dates well before that. You, you came in almost immediately started having success. What was it that you were able to figure out at Augustana, at Rock Island, which, to be honest, is is on its own to some degree, um, right. that, that you were able to figure out, get recruits to come? What was the, the, the mix? What was the secret sauce, as it were, that allowed yeah. you to be so successful there? Well, uh, you know, initially it was it was remarkable. I, I'd had 18 years coaching Division One basketball, and I had been a successful Division One coach at Lamar University, where we'd beaten you know LSU and Houston and Baylor, and and you know I'd done some really pretty cool things at a very young age. And I came back to Augustana, and the first time I went out recruiting, um, I was nothing more than Chips's son. My father uh, had been the winningest coach percentage-wise of any coach in the state of Illinois. Mm-hmm. had spent 35 years coaching and and 
And I would go out in places, and everywhere I went, people said, oh, you're Chips's boy. You're your Chips's boy. <laughs> well, it, you know, it bugged me a little bit, except that he was so revered in this state that coaches wanted their kids to play for me. Huh. And, and we got an immense, I don't know if you remember, we had a, a, an All-American in, in just one of my second or third year named Drew Carstens. Yeah. And, and his high school coach basically told him, you know, hey, you, you can't play for, for the old man. You can play for his kid. You should go there. Hmm. And we got tremendous help from my father's legacy to get this thing going. And then, you know, our fourth year, we won our first conference title. Yeah. And then, then it was kind of like, well, we stood on our own. And yeah. people wanted to come because it was a packed house and championships and, you know, great school and all those things. But uh, that's something that's lost on a lot of folks. Is I got a real shot in the arm uh, from uh, my father's legacy when I first got here. You got you averaged twenty one wins a season, Gray. Four hundred and thirty three wins in twenty one seasons. You do the math; that's that's twenty one point nine. I think uh, it just did it and then erased it. But you know that's how it works. Yeah, twenty one point one. I should say. Um, that's incredible success for a first off for a conference we all know can be a bear, and in a region yeah. in a region. That can just as be as much a bear. Your schedule is never a joke, to say the least. Um, that's that's some pretty impressive numbers. That how what do you? I mean, obviously you got the the recruiting edge. You said there with your father, but what do you what do you make of the success you guys were able to to maintain? You know, again at the press conference, I was asked a similar question, and I said, you know, I'll be honest, with you, I didn't look that much at it until I read the press release coming into this conference. <laughs> And I'd be honest with you, I was blown away. I was like, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> you got to be kidding me. We've won more conference championships at a higher rate than has ever been done in this conference's history. Mm-hmm. Uh, longtime coach uh, at Illinois Wesleyan, Danny Bridges, won 17 titles, but he yeah. was in 37 years. We won 10 in 21 years. Mm-hmm. And, and as you said, in a, in a tremendous conference and playing in a region, the central region, which I think oftentimes uh, people would, would feel is the best – we had a great run of great players, and I was so fortunate to have the staff that I've had. Um, you know, if you came into our practice, you're going to see four professional assistant coaches teaching and, 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 and preparing and detailing. Well, the college isn't paying all of them. They're only paying one. You know, Tom right. Jesse, my longtime assistant, did such a good job. But we were able to get a couple former players that worked in other positions on campus, uh, uh, another coach that had retired from a – from a high school position. And so I, I think that that model really worked for us. We had great staffing, which meant we could really recruit. And then the success breeds success. You know, everybody wants to yeah. be part of it. kids that were coming to those NCAA tournament games where they're three deep in the, in the rafters. <laughs> uh, hey, they want to be part of that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and that is, that is half the battle to some degree. You got to build the program yeah. and, and get it working. That's the first half. The second is to maintain what you were able to achieve. Uh, and that second right. half sometimes can be the toughest, as I've seen oh, first, I, firsthand. I think, the, you know, the people have asked, well, what are you most proud of? I said, well, listen, you know, we had 20 consecutive winning seasons in conference play. You know, that, that's never been done before. I think right now the, the second longest streak in our league is like six. And, and I think that you, you make a great point. You can win a championship, and it's really hard to win a championship. But to sustain success over time is way harder. And I think that's what I'm, I'm most pleased with is that uh, uh, you know our, our success wasn't fleeting. Uh, it, it became the, the norm. Um, when you look at 
what you didn't get accomplished. And, and I don't mean to you know be the negative Nelly, as it were, but you guys were so good that I think a lot of us expected, or a lot of people in general, and not just us, as it were, but a yeah. lot of people expected, one, maybe you would get that undefeated CCIW season. Two, you know, right. the, the Final Four was so hard for so yep. long, and then you finally break <laughs> through, and I think all of us just thought, well, they'll win the national title now, and that one right. eluded you as well. What was, yeah. what were, what, talk to me about some of those challenges and, and maybe the stuff that didn't get accomplished. Well, we, uh, I think there was a streak there, Dave, that we lost to the eventual national champion yeah. five years in a row in yes. the NCAA tournament. Yeah, something like five, six years. Yep. Yeah. And, and I, I've told people, I said, you know, it's way easier to win a national championship than to win a regular season title. A regular season title, you got to go double round robin over two months. Mm -hmm. That is a grind. The national championship, it's so much of a luck of the draw and matchups. Especially in D3. And, and I'll give you an example. We, we had the, the best team. We, we, we had probably five or six teams, I think, that could have won a national title. We had one year, our point guard contracted pneumonia. Mm. And we played one of the, the uh, Puget Sound, uh, the Northwest teams, that pressed the whole game. Mm -hmm. that, that was as good a team as we ever had. <laughs> we, we had a 10-point lead on Wash U. And we have a guy dunk it to go up 10, slap the backboard, and we get a technical, and they go on a 10-point run, and we get beat. St. <laughs> Thomas comes in, you know, we're 29-1 and one or yeah. something, and, and uh, uh, John Tower, who has become a dear friend of mine, uh, you know, pulls one out of the uh, out of the rabbit out of the hat. Of course, the next year, you know, we're down like eight with 40 seconds and beat them. You know, we had the winningest class in, in school history graduate. Well, what happened the next year? We had a sophomore team. And Krishan Orange throws one in at the buzzer to beat St. Thomas, throws one in another night. This is at Whitewater to beat Whitewater. And then we end up going to Hope, and Hope gets beat in the next game, and we're playing a neutral game against Hanover, and we go to the Final Four. That, that, you know, that was just luck of the draw. Um, I had uh, you know Benedictine and, and uh, uh, Bunkenberg is, is a terrific coach, great friend. And, and uh, you know I complimented him one time on his run to the national title game. He said, Gray, he said, you know, the, the real secret that nobody talks about is we didn't play a CCIW or WIAC team along the way. So, you know, just so many variables in that little two, uh, three week tournament that, that can come into play. And, oh, sure. and, uh, you know, we just, yeah, we, we didn't, didn't get the ball to bounce, uh, didn't catch a break, uh, fought our way through there. But I, I do think Dave, to, to have played in four consecutive elite eights, Mm-hmm. Five consecutive Sweet 16s. I, I don't know how many times that's ever been done. So we, we put ourselves in a position many times and, uh, you know, just, just didn't get there. But I, I don't feel like that's a hole in my resume uh, because I, I look at, you know, all those other things and think, oh, boy, you, you know, uh, who are you kidding? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, you don't look back at it necessarily as regrets. No, yeah. no. Um, again, you talk about the battle with cancer. Of course, you went and coached anyway. Uh, which probably endeared you with the the fans even more um, than anything. You had all the rights in the world, sir, to step down and say, "Listen, I, I need a break." Many have done that. Many have not, and you're obviously mm -hmm. one who not. Um, what what kind? What I know we talked about it then, but looking back on it, what was what yeah. went into that decision? What what went into the idea of listen? I'm going to keep doing this. Yeah. Well, it was very much. Uh... Uh, medically fact-based. I, I I had great great uh, health care and and the experts uh, 
assured me that uh, prolonging my surgery uh, would not uh, increase the, the odds of failure when we did conduct that surgery. Uh, prostate cancer typically is a very uh, slow-growing uh, process. And, and the fact is, you know, I had, was clearly diagnosed in January with these uh, the biopsies. Um, but the, but what happens is when they do the biopsies, they, they disrupt the, uh, the, the glands, and you can't, you're not safe for surgery for about six weeks after the biopsy. And so then we were only talking about, well, okay, six weeks uh, will be in the middle of February. How about a couple more weeks? And the doctor assured me, he said, look, Coach, you're okay mm-hmm. to keep going. And I scheduled the surgery uh, actually uh, what would have been the Monday after the national championship game. Mm-hmm. Well, sure enough, we got beat the week before. But yeah. uh, I think the hardest part of that whole, you know, the, the, you know cancer, uh, it has a physical toll. But, boy, the, the emotional, psychological toll is tough to, to describe because, uh, the, you know, not knowing what you're dealing with and then being diagnosed and then dealing with, you know, treatments, mm-hmm. it was extraordinarily uh, taxing. Sure. Uh, and then obviously the, the surgery itself, as I said, I, th- I think I probably felt that, you know, uh, more more than I realized uh, during the course of this season. Oh, sure. I, I can understand that. Uh, again, you came from Lamar, D1, Beaumont, Texas, um, to yeah. Rock Island, Illinois. A little bit, of, yeah. little bit different. Uh, what kept you in Division Three? Because, listen, you and I have talked mm-hmm. off air. I, I knew you were up for a couple of gigs in, in the right. past. You stayed at Augustana. Why? I'm curious, the YD3, in a sense. You know, yeah. What was it about this school or about this division that you decided was was right for you? Yeah, 18 years at the Division One level, uh, and, and you will not find a greater advocate for Division Three athletics than me. Um, what I experienced is that the, the kids that are, that are competing in Division Three athletics are doing it for exactly the right reasons. They, they have a love for the game and passion for the, for the game that's really pure. There's no alternative motive. They're not thinking that they're going to make a living playing. They're not trying to move up to something. They're playing because they love to play. And, you know, I, I know we played in games where the effort – I mean, I, I have on my wall a, a giant poster of our game against Illinois and Brad Underwood. It says, mm-hmm. uh, those guys play as hard as anybody in the Big Ten. You know, I, I've got a big one of a landscape picture of us playing Iowa. Fran McCaffrey says, we got outplayed. We just got outfought by those guys. Mm-hmm. And the, the effort and energy that the Division Three kids put in is, is just second to none. And what we have going here at Augustana, we have a packed house, and we're playing for championships. Um, you don't get that many places. I mean, of all the Division One places I coach, you know, Oral Roberts and, and Rice and, and uh, the only one that had that same kind of community support and, and enthusiasm in the arena was Wichita State. You know, they, they have, it's packed, and they, they're into it. But most of those low majors and mid-majors would do anything to have what we have at Augustana. I mean, you just look at the numbers around the state of Illinois. We outdraw northern Illinois and eastern Illinois and western Illinois. And, you know, they're, they're playing, trying to get to 500. Hey, we're trying to get to a national title game. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I knew that because I'd been there. I'd been yeah. there. I'd been at the Division One. You know, I was at Lamar. We led the league in attendance my last two years <laughs> with 4,500 people a game. But we had a 10,000-seat arena. Yeah. It was half empty. Right, yeah. You, know, you put 2,000 people in the Carver Center, it's unbelievable. <laughs> yes, so, it is. And, and I'll tell you the other thing, Dave. The quality of life is so good. I, I was able to, you know, be home every night. We'd we play, but, you know, then I'd get to be home. 
in, mm-hmm. in recruiting. I, I rarely got on an airplane. So I think that the combination of, of you know, the essence of, of the, the competitors, the student athletes, that, that and there's not a conflict. When you say student athlete here, it, it's, it's not a contradiction. Mm-hmm. They really are students first. Yep. You know, people teased us, I think, times on recruiting about the, the med school. We don't have a med school. We have a great pre-med program. Mm-hmm. I got four guys that are on a team a couple years that are in their third year in residency. Man. They're going to be doctors. You know, we didn't have that when I was at Lamar. Right. Yeah, different priorities. <laughs> yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, and, and that's what I appreciate, to say the least. And that's why I was curious. Because, uh, again, yeah, I, I knew you, you had your opportunities, and you didn't take them. Um, I'm curious, does the next coach have to be able to throw his jacket or take it off at some point <laughs> to, to get the fans to feel like he's part of them? <laughs> they, they, uh, they, they, again, at press conference, the guy said, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to find a job where I don't feel like throwing my jacket. There you go. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I tell you what, I, I, uh, oh, somebody will come in here and, and, and do a terrific job and they'll need to do it, uh, exactly the way they think they should and, and be who they are, um. Uh, so I, I uh, oh, I know our AD will do a great job mm-hmm. uh, with a search, and there'll be tremendous uh, pool of candidates, and sure. uh, they'll get the right person and keep this thing rolling. I, I am curious. I, I don't know if you'll be asked to have a say or, or, or express an opinion. I'm, I'm not necessarily looking yeah. for that, but I am curious who you hope Augustana will find in a coach to help continue what you have helped build. I don't want to say build there, but at least, you know, develop at augustana yeah yeah i, I met with our our uh, vice president that's over athletics along with our ad and they said they'd really welcome my my input uh, during the process and and i said i'll be as involved or removed as they'd like but uh i i just you know i think they'll want to somebody that represents the college well and and uh cares about the players and understands division three athletics and and uh, uh you know and 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 is a competitor um, because as you said, you know, we're in a, in a terrific conference. You know, Dave, I, I have to say, it's interesting. One of the things I've, I've come to really appreciate, I've gotten some beautiful notes from guys we've competed against and believe it or not from officials. Mm. And I, I sent a note to all our coaches. I said, you know, I, uh, many, many years ago when I was working for Ted Owens and crossed paths with Norm Stewart, now Ted Owens has been a longtime coach at Kansas. Norm mm-hmm. Stewart was at Missouri and the border war was a vicious, intense rivalry. Yes. But when I was with those guys outside of the season, they were very uh, congenial to one another, very, very pleasant. And I said to Ted Owens, I said, how can you be so pleasant with him when you're just such a vicious rivalry? And he said, let me ask you something. He said, who do you think understands coaches other than other coaches? Mm-hmm. We, we, we share that. And, you know, the guys in our league that I've fought so hard against, I have immense respect for. Um, you know, Ron Rose, at Illinois Wesleyan, the biggest rival that Augustana has, is a dear, dear friend of mine. Mm-hmm. You know, I have tremendous respect for, you know, Bosco and Reardon and Mike Scher, all those guys, all those guys. And uh, it, it's funny when you step back, you really appreciate the, the and, and the former players that we played against. Mm-hmm. I, I have such a sense of, of uh, admiration and respect for uh, all the guys we've competed against. Uh, I think the coaches are more dear friends now because you're you're out. They don't. Yeah, well, <laughs> no, no, I'm sure. I'm sure they're that's that they're not uh, shedding any tears no. over the. No. It. Oh, it's too bad Gray's gone. Wait, Gray's gone. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm kid. I know there's a lot yeah. of respect in the ranks, uh, to say the oh, least. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Hey, listen, you're young, sir. In the grand scheme of things, uh, it's been a bit of a theme. I mentioned it with Dave Hickson, too. You know, you, it's your third career, as it were. You had your, your young life, then you had your coaching life. 
you're not yeah. that old. You're, you're, you're relatively young in the grand scheme of things. What, what do you hope you will do now in quote-unquote retirement? Well, first of all, I certainly appreciate being mentioned in the same uh, sentence with Dave Hicks. Mm. Uh, my goodness, uh, what, a, what a career. I, I think that uh, there will be a, a third act. I think that uh, when the dust settles from this pandemic, there'll be some professional opportunities that I'll look very seriously at and, and had had, you know, a, a number of folks here in the last couple of years throw some things at me that, hey, when you're done coaching now, you know, we'd love to. But uh, as I said, I don't know how, what exactly it will be, but uh, it'll be something where I don't feel like throwing my jacket midway through whatever I'm doing. <laughs> but uh, I think you got to do I, it I just for once. I can't imagine anything more fulfilling. And I, I know – <clears throat> there's going to be uh, a lot of things I don't miss, uh, but boy, uh, the uh, the interaction with those kids and and the relationships uh, that you get to develop and the growth that you get to see in them, and and certainly the rush of of the game, the butterflies uh, that come during that national anthem. I mean, those are all things I know that uh, are going to be tough to replace. Yeah, I can only imagine. Uh, I think you got to throw the jacket at least once at, at work just to feel <laughs> like you're okay. <laughs> Um, right. I saw a great video of, a, of a, you chatting, and I'm going to use the term chatting loosely, uh, with an official as you were walking down, and you, you chucked the uh, jacket, not towards him. I, I, I do want to point out it was not towards him, but that the video did not go long enough to see what his reaction was. But my first thought was, well, it wasn't towards him. It's fine. <laughs> oh, golly. I, my president... He he tried to convince me to stay, and he said, well, why not, you know, could you ever just be less you know, less energized and not put quite so much into it. I said, you, you know, I went into games saying to myself, all right, I'm just going to tone it down and I'm going to cross my legs and I'm going to just, and the first time a whistle blows that you can't change your DNA, you know, and, and people have said, what regrets do you have? And I said, well, clearly I wish I hadn't been quite so animated on the sideline. I know there were times my language wasn't what, you know, wasn't uh, PG and, uh, but you know you, you 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 are who you are. Yeah, I don't. I understand that entirely, sir. Uh, and I think you had fun with it in the end. At least the fans did too. And and you, everyone understood. Actually, I think you toned down a bit. I think uh, it got to the point where I wondered how long the jacket would stay on uh, more than when it was coming off. Um, I'm fascinated. I appreciate the time. I I. I would be remiss if I didn't try and ask. I didn't ask everybody because I think we got a sense of it. But I do. I mean, I'm curious from you. What what are your some of your fondest memories, or do you have a, a top three, as it were, of your favorite games, or, or something along those lines? Yeah, I, you know we we've taken seven international tours since I've been at Augustana. When our alumni get together, uh, hearing the stories of those international tours uh, is hard to replace. I, I learn a lot of things that went on that I wasn't aware of, and uh, <laughs> uh, and, and when I I, I so. You know, I had a great coach, a mentor, many, many years ago say, you know, you'll know how good a coach you are, not by what your final record is, but by how many wedding invitations you get. Mm -hmm. And I can't tell you how many times I've gotten to go to, to guys' weddings and reminisce and, and reconnect. And each time that I'm with them, I think, oh, those are the best of times. Uh, I, I will say this. The, the, the one year we played at home and, and wanted to go to the Final Four and cut the nets down, my yeah. three grown sons were there. And my first three guys that captained my first team at Augustana, they were there. Um, you know, my, my, uh, so, and, and they all were in the locker room, as were dozens of former players. That was certainly a, um, a moment that I'll always treasure. Uh, and, and I do think it's true. Uh, it's not so much the great wins and the victories, but it's the, the, the journey, the, the things that took place, the relationships that took place along the way and that endure. And uh, that, I think, is what I'm, I'm probably you know, most 
cherish uh, are those connections with, with all those guys. And like I said, in the last 48 hours, Dave, I literally have hundreds of emails and texts that I haven't returned yet. I, I mean, I'm going as fast as I can. And each one of them uh, just just sends chills, uh, just, you know, makes me uh, appreciate and, and, and feel humble about uh, what I've gotten to do. Awesome. That's a perfect way to end it. I appreciate your time. I've appreciated our chats over the years uh, and mm-hmm. your tolerance of us, <laughs> as it were. Uh, well, I've even enjoyed visiting the campus and, and seeing you. You've seen your teams in action. And uh, uh, congratulations. Uh, I'm disappointed, but then again, I'm selfish because we've enjoyed the great coaches of Division Three, and we've certainly lost quite a few in retirement this year. And uh, so we're selfish in the sense that we're disappointed, but we're uh, congratulatory and and. And glad for you uh, that you got to do what you got to do. And yeah. uh, on that note, sir, we, we leave the final word to you. Any final thoughts you'd like to share with those tuned in? Well, hey, I appreciate being included in, in the group that you're talking about. Uh, that's, a, that's a pretty lofty uh, uh, place, and I, I appreciate it. And, Dave, just, again, can't thank you enough for, for what you and the D3 Hoops crew uh, does to advocate for what I think is the, you know, the premier level in uh, in in college athletics. Well, thank you. I, as I said to, to Ken DeWeese, it it's individuals like yourself a lot, uh, saying yes to coming on our show and saying yes multiple times and sometimes last minute that have helped us do our work. And so the thanks is really all in your direction. Uh, we wouldn't be able to do it without you. So thank you. Congratulations. Take care of yourself. Stay in touch. Love to know what you're up to down the road, and, and maybe we'll see you at a basketball game as well. Very good. Awesome. Greg Giovanni, uh, formerly the head coach of Augustana, joining us on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline. Once again, thanks to Greg Giovanni coming on the show. Very last minute. I, I literally texted him just, uh, well, I texted him the day he announced his retirement, but we were able to get the uh, interview booked rather quick succession after that, as he is a busy man. I appreciate the time he gave us. I, I don't know if we'll see Greg Giovanni on a sideline again. Um, I'll miss him. Uh, while he was fiery, and certainly many of the coaches we talked to could be fiery on the sideline, Graves was more unique, to say the least. It's amazing they didn't win a national championship. But as I as I thought about it after interviewing Gray, this is Division Three. The entire goal is not about necessarily national championships. Success is great. It can be measured in countless ways in this division. And to say Augustana wasn't successful just because they didn't win a national championship under Greg Giovanni is missing the entire point. Congratulations to the program he built there. We'll be fascinated to see who might take over for his program there in Rock Island. By the way, he talked about St. Thomas beating them and going on to win the national championship. That actually happened twice, both times at Augustana in 2011 and 2016. I was there in 2011 when St. Thomas beat Augustana and went on to win the national title two games later. I was not there in 2016 when they did it, but uh, that was the year of the Hoopsville Classic when St. Thomas had come to the Hoopsville Classic. Side note, it was kind of cool to see St. Thomas went up for a national championship game wearing Hoopsville Classic t-shirts. That was kind of a little neat moment. But yeah, great Giovanni, certainly. Good friends with John um, Tower, but I'm pretty sure he never really wanted to see a St. Thomas squad in the postseason. When we come back, we'll do some note work. Uh, We got a bit we threw into our notebook this uh, month to get you caught up on. We hope you take the time to join us in the next segment just to breeze through a couple of those topics. You're listening to the Hoopsville podcast here in the month of May, presented by D3Hoops.com for the WBCA and ABC studios. More Hoopsville after this. My name is Marcus Walker. 
I was All-State, won a state championship, a high school All-American, and played college and pro ball. I played because I love the game. I grind to be the best. I sweat because I put in work. I'm strong because I believe. When I want to bring it before game time, I come to the house that college basketball built, the CBE. No matter your skill, take it to another level. Elevate your game right here at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. We've got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division Three basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com. For the love of the game, but for those of us who are Division Three student-athletes, it's more than that, a lot more. Sure, the game is important, but as we work so hard to build both mind and body, it's more about team. That is why NCAA Division Three teamed up with Special Olympics. And in giving the gift of sport to those for whom it seemed an impossible dream, we are working to make this a better world. Help us keep that dream alive. You can make a difference. Welcome back to the first podcast of the month of May here on Hoopsville. We weren't planning to do two, but Greg Giovanni's um, retirement threw a, a wrinkle into things. And it got us thinking we wanted to talk more about that, but we also had another interview. We haven't even gotten into this show. So the second part will come out in a few days. We will get the gang together, as it were, and talk about all the great retirements that we've had and the 4,000-plus wins that have come off the table and the mark that those coaches have left and much more. That'll come up in part number two. We'll also talk to Eric Bridgeland, who made probably the biggest move of this offseason, at least so far. He has left Whitman and headed to Redlands to coach the Redlands squad there in the Skyac. And he's got an important message you should hear about why that decision was made, but more importantly, more about the Skyac. So that's coming up in a few days' time. And uh, it'll definitely be worth tuning into. And of course, we'll be putting another podcast together, hopefully for the months of June, July, August, and September, already working on little bits and pieces uh, for those podcasts. Don't want to say what we're working on exactly, because to be honest with you, it's still a work in progress. Now time for the Hoopsville Notebook. And there's a few things we should get uh, tidied up here from the last few weeks since we talked uh, last, back when uh, we did the State of D3 with Dan Dutcher. Uh, we broke this news, and then it became official. The three-point line move has been delayed in Division Three and in Division Two. Remember, when a move like that is made, whether the line is changed or a clock is changed or whatever the case, when it's when it's something that's you know hardware, as it were, and it's going to cost money, there's always a delay. So Division One this past academic year had the new D three or the new D three, the new uh, three-point line, which is at the international distance. D two and D three were to implement that for next season. That has been delayed for another season so we won't see the three-point line in division three until 21 22 now from what i've heard some schools have already put the line on the floor some took advantage of everyone being off campus and were able to get some people in to, to strip down their uh, courts and put the new line in not the end of the world except that um well, it's just an extra line, essentially, because remember, the men and women are still at the line they are. Women are not moving as of yet. So having an extra line is not going to be the end of the world. 
Uh, but we'll keep an eye on that one, to say the least. But three-point line has been delayed. We will be at the uh, original line, as it were, for at least one more season in men's basketball. Regional realignment was approved, as we had talked about. We hinted at it uh, during our interview with Dan Dutcher. Uh, just days later, it was uh, officially rubber-stamped, as it were. We don't have all the details yet. Uh, we're still working to figure out what they may be. It's in the hands of the championships committee now to finally put the final uh, I's and T's together on it and the dots and however you want to say. Um, but as soon as we get a sense of it, we could, we will talk about it. But remember, this isn't for until 21, 22 either. We've got roughly 18 months to kind of put this together and, and have it in place. And a lot can change in those 18 months. So there's still a bit of a work in progress, but it is coming. It has been approved unless something dramatic changes between now and then. And with coronavirus, who knows, right? Uh, but we'll keep an eye on that. Uh, Don Shula passed away. You probably knew that. Of course, Don Shula connected with Division Three, and the fact that he is a John Carroll alum, and if you don't know, their football sta- stadium is named after Don Shula. The, the more fascinating point on all that is the fact that a number of John Carroll alums who have been involved with a football program or otherwise are also involved in the NFL. But Don Shula, um, obviously a, a, a heavyweight in football, in the NFL especially, died and with the connections to Division Three. Uh, we mentioned a coaching move earlier. There really hasn't been many since we we, we were on air last, uh, believe it or not. Only two that I can think of off the top of my head. Maybe maybe I'm missing one or two, but Randolph-Macon, as we mentioned, hired Lindsey Burke to take over for Carol LaHaye at the, on the women's basketball side. Uh, Burke was the three-year assistant at the University of Rochester, as we mentioned, also at uh, Mary Washington. We wish her luck there as... Uh, that is an interesting duo there with um, Josh Merkel at Randolph-Macon. Um, and then the other one was Greg Giovanni retiring. Literally, that that was about the biggest news so far in the last month. And, and again, I don't expect a ton of coaching changes, I think, because coronavirus has put things so in flux that we're just not going to see a lot of, of shuffling. I just don't think. Um, being involved in another search that I, I really can't go into uh, in any way, shape, or form. I, I made some calls and, and inquired with some people, and there were some who were just not interested because it was what was going on now. If it had been any other year, they may have jumped at that opportunity to at least discuss it with that institution, but decided not to because they just didn't feel uh, they that, that this, this <laughs> things weren't stable enough or they didn't understand the landscape well enough in such a weird, weird year. Um, by the way, hats off to the national sack um, across all divisions, but especially Division Three. I'm going to say this off cuff. I think this was a Division Three idea. I could be wrong about it. Obviously, I want to support it, though. Mental health. Division Three has done an incredible job um, with its SAC in general. But all three SACs came together on the national level, Division One, Division Two, and Division Three, talking about mental health. It happened to be a topic they were going to tackle before this entire coronavirus thing came out, and I applaud them for what they're doing. We have links to their, their efforts on the show um, page for today's show. Check it out. Support them. It's tremendous. It's basically making sure the mental health of our student athletes is more of a topic of conversation and and not a taboo. And uh, hats off to them for their work. By the way, George Barber is apparently teaching the system on Facebook. Yeah, you heard that right. Remember George Barber, the latest um, to adopt the system, as it were, at Greenville, uh, taking the idea from uh, Arsenal up there who is no longer coaching at Grinnell. His son, of course, is coaching. But yeah, George Barber is actually, quote, coached the system 
with Do- Dr. George Barber. It's a Facebook page, uh, and he's doing some different things. And and applaud to him on that. I find it interesting. I think I'll, I'll tune in and see what little notes I can get out of it, but others might find that interesting as well. Have you been watching The Last Dance, the docu-series on ESPN and Netflix about the Chicago Bulls championship run, especially the last championship of the six that they won, but really the entire run and certainly the entire time Michael Jordan was a Chicago Bull? Well, believe it or not, it's got a lot of Division Three ties to it. First off, it's directed by Jason Herrer, who's a class of 98 Williams grad. On top of he played baseball, by the way, did Jason uh, and did some football broadcasting there at Williams. Um, by the way, there's also a Williams grad who got a cameo. Eric Gringold of 95 had a cameo in one of the episodes showing uh, he had two tryouts with those Bulls. Uh, I, I, he didn't make it. I think we probably all know that. Um, I got those notes from Dick Quinn. Appreciate it. Uh, Williams actually talked to talked to Jason Hare, the director of that of that series. We will link to that. It was a Zoom interview certainly worth it um it was a good good listen as it were so we'll, we'll link to that on our show page as well by the way harris partner um on the games when they did those football broadcasts was matt marvin of 98 he now directs nascar and nhl for nbc sports williams has a lot of connections in the media world we talked about those two gents well another member of the class of 98 is two sport athlete aaron burnett you might recognize her name if you've ever tuned into cnn so williams certainly has its hands in the till as it were it and and we're hitting the tip of the iceberg the executive producer and president of production for nbc and nbc sports network is sam flood he's a 1983 graduate of Williams. Why do I bring him up? Well, a little twist. I went to Salisbury School for my last two years of high school, located in the northwestern corner of Connecticut in the Berkshires, gorgeous place, south of Williams by a couple of hours. My headmaster at that school was Dick Flood, Sam Flood's father. Uh, Dick Flood, unfortunately, passed away uh, last year. Uh, A great man, great mentor. I barely got to know Sam Flood. Someday, I hope to get to know Sam Flood a little bit better, but hats off. To him, and in one of those oh random moments, speaking of of those uh, who are tied to, to Williams, to say the least, uh, I was I've been a little bit. I, I made a comment on Twitter, basically talking about how um, some things have frustrated me with some of the coverage. And uh, our friend of the show, Tim Layden, uh, got me uh, in the direct messages. Tim, if you might remember, has been on the show. He used to be with Sports Illustrated. Now. He's with NBC Sports. Uh, shouldn't they just relabel NBC Sports, maybe Williams Television? I don't know. <laughs> but tons of connections at Williams. We'll keep an eye on that, maybe even do something about it on a future show. And we'll finish off on a great note, and it comes from New Jersey City Men's Basketball, where Sam Tony was a surprise winner of the USBWA's Most Courageous Award for this year. The United States Basketball Writers Association uh, has never given that award to a Division Three student-athlete, obviously basketball player, and they did with him. Of course, Sam Tony's story is tremendous. If you don't remember it, uh, he spent uh, time in more than 50 homes in the foster care system and he even spent a period of homelessness. We uh, bring you the Sam Tony story. We link to it um, on the front page of D3Hoops.com, but I'll also have a link on it in the um, in the show page. But we'll also link to the Sam Tony Award where he was also surprised with receiving that. 
Congratulations on the most courageous award, Mr. Sam Tony. I know he didn't end up having maybe the senior season that he or the team uh, expected to have or the success that they wanted to have, but Sam Tony certainly was uh, one to hold his head high and a true student athlete of Division III. Uh, I appreciated getting to know him through interviews and getting to know him through others and getting to see him play. Hats off to Sam Tony, to say the least. And that will wrap up this first part of a two-part May podcast. Coming up in a few days, we will talk to the entire gang about all of the notable coaching retirements that we have had in well since November, but especially since basketball came to a close here in 2020. We'll talk about even maybe a hint at the conversation on D3 boards about who should be maybe on the Mount Rushmore of Division Three coaches. And we'll talk to Eric Bridgeland who is now the head coach of the University of Redlands men's basketball team. What got him to leave Walla Walla, Washington and move back to Southern California? That's all ahead in the second part of our May podcast out in a few days. I want to thank Dave Hickson, Ken DeWeese, Carol LaHaye, and of course, Gray Giovanni for coming on the show and for all of those who helped us get them on our show. And I want to thank all of you for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed it. And we'll see you back here for part two. You've been listening to Hoopsville presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC studios. If you want anything to more about us or learn about our shows or what we're doing in the offseason, make sure you follow us on Twitter at D3Hoopsville or using the hashtag Hoopsville. We've been breaking a little bit of news there as well, so keep track of that. You can also follow us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Hoopsville. We're on Instagram as well. Though we don't use it as much as the other two avenues, we try and use it as much as we can. You can find us there at D3Hoopsville as well. Of course, you can always email us, hoopsville at d3sports.com. That's hoopsville at d3sports.com. Thanks for tuning in to today's show. Remember, if you want to talk about Division Three basketball, you've got to listen to Hoopsville. We'll see you back here for part two. broadcast of Hoopsville is a property of DMAC Productions and David McHugh and is intended solely for the private, personal use of our audience. Any other broadcast, rebroadcast, or other use of the descriptions and accounts of this show without the express written consent of Hoopsville and DMAC Productions is strictly prohibited.